0: Hello
1: everybody and welcome to All In. I am the Nintendo 3D Eric.
0: And I am Seth Fit Adventure. We've got a great show for you guys this week. To celebrate the week's countdown to 2021, we're going to be counting down the top five countdowns in Nintendo history. Can't wait, but
1: before that... We get some really, really interesting stories to talk about in this
0: week's News Drop. That's right. And today, for all the new Switch owners out there, we'll be helping guide you through three different areas of your awesome new console. Settings, accessories, and of course, games.
1: And in this week's Indie Showcase, we are incredibly excited to be talking with Adam Tierney from Way Forward about River City Girls.
0: Well, it sounds like there's just one thing left to say. Happy New Year, everybody.
1: That's right, guys. Happy New Year. Let's make it the best we possibly can. And for the first time in 2021, it's time to go All In.
0: Well, guys we made it we made it out of the uh the craziness that was 2020 uh you know with a little with some marks on us but relatively unscathed we've all made it through the other side and we are happy to be with you here this week we want to welcome new and returning listeners to all in and nintendo podcast the weekly nintendo variety show reaching every saturday no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned thank you so much for joining us this week and this year starting off a brand new year man i'm like really excited. I've got a lot of optimistic sort of looking towards the skies and you know, I've got a, I've really got a good feeling about 2021 or I'm trying to at least.
1: Yeah. There is something about a new year, a new beginning wiping the slate clean. There is just something about changing the clock over changing the calendar over that really makes people hopeful about the future we're leaving behind i I think especially when it comes to 2021 because we are leaving behind uh an objectively pretty uh pretty big jerk of a year yeah just a dismal year (laughs) yeah and you know we we may one day look back on 2020 as (laughs) well when we look back on 2020 years from now you and I hopefully will still be able to see it as the beginning of our empire, the beginning of all in, but outside of that, there's quite a few things that I think you and I would both like to leave in uh, the previous year.
0: Yeah. But you know what? I, I always, you know, me, I'm a big Batman fan. I always look at the, uh, the the quote from Batman Begins, like, why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up, right? Yeah. I, I look at 2021 as a positive thing, and I'm really excited to get into it, and we're happy to be here with you this week. But let's get into it, man. What's been going on with you this past week?
1: Yeah, well, I think 2020 is lived by another Batman quote. Uh, you either you either die the hero... <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that's where ...or you
1: live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and... But... In terms of what happened with me, uh, obviously reported on a couple weeks ago that the Donkey Kong Country trilogy has now been completed yes. on the Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo app. If you have a Nintendo Switch Online subscription, they're all all the Super Nintendo games on there are free to play. And like we said. Or like I said, rather, I'm so, so excited for the release of Donkey Kong Country 3, my favorite in the trilogy. And I've really, really been putting a lot of time into that. I'm going to re-103%. I'm pretty... uh, 103 or 105. I think it might actually be 105. Okay. But I'm going to re-complete Donkey Kong Country 3. And then I think I'm actually going to go backwards. I'm going to re-complete Donkey Kong Country 2 and then go back to the original. And I'm going to 100% uh fully complete all three of those. The the third one coming back has just really got me in a mood to go back and replay the entire trilogy. I've I've gotten to about 60, 65% on Donkey Kong Country 3. I'm wow. going into the final main world of the game. Uh it's it's amazing the stuff that I still remember <laughs> 25 years later. About that game, but it's got, it's just so much fun. It still holds up all the Donkey Kong Country games still hold up amazingly well here in 2021. It's just an absolute blast to play. I, we cannot recommend them enough i really wish i could have gotten a 3d i know i've mentioned this a couple times before but i really wish i could have gotten a 3d remake remaster on the 3ds because i think that would have been amazing but having them all on my tv to play is is just such a blast i'm having so much fun and i the the nostalgia is flowing pretty strong with me right now especially when i play those games but outside of donkey kong country 3 i did finish detention Ah. on netflix Nice. Yes. Yeah, the final episodes released last Saturday, day after Christmas, the day our last episode dropped. So I was able to finish off, uh, they say season one. I don't know if there's going to be more. Frankly, I hope there's not, especially with the way that Detention ended on Netflix. And if you've played the game, uh, it serves as effectively a sequel story to the game. And uh, to to really appreciate the story, you would have to know a little bit about the history of Taiwan at the time. Right. We went into this a little bit when we did the uh, Indie Showcase on detention back in October, but is very much a, a Salem witch hunt, very much like MacArthur uh, witch hunt vibes. Basically, anybody who's reading banned books was labeled an enemy of the state and and there was this it was just super serious and super massive but just knowing a little bit about that i think would certainly help you appreciate the show a little bit better i don't think the show is going to be for everybody it is very much a slow burn and the the differing culture might turn some people off especially the way that the characters handle certain things Mm. it uh for, for somebody who's watched a lot of eastern media uh, I'm used to to seeing a lot of this stuff, but a lot of the stuff they have in the show that has to do with, you know, kind of their city, their local deities and, and stuff like that. And the way they, they truly believe in some things that a lot of Western audiences might seem a little weird, like just small supernatural things that uh, some Eastern cultures kind of take for granted. So... To go into it with an open mind, I do recommend it. It is a slow burn. I don't think it's gonna be for everybody, but I personally really, really enjoyed it the The parallels that they draw between the new story and the game, I think are really well handled because they're not there's a lot of parallels, but they are like corrupted uh-huh. parallels they're not they're not quite the same as the story beats from the original game, but a lot of the things that happen are incorporated into the new story. It's not like a Force Awakens situation where Force Awakens was uh, almost a shot-for-shot remake of A New Hope. It's done in, I think, a really interesting way. If you've played the game, you'll notice a lot of things. They very cleverly incorporate a lot of things from the game directly into the show, down to uh, some really, really detail-oriented things like a lock from the game that serves as one of the puzzles. Oh, wow. Uh, early on in the title, that lock specifically shows up toward the end. And I I know it's just a small little detail, but again, if you're familiar with the game, if you wind up playing through the game, which I highly recommend, you will notice a lot of really knowing nods, a lot of little winks, a ton of Easter eggs for the game. And specifically the ending, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I do want to say initially when I was watching the ending, it felt kind of off. It felt kind of weird. It didn't, it almost seemed like it wasn't even in the same genre. Hmm. However, there's something that happens that I don't think a lot of people would pick up on. There is something small that happens that completely recontextualizes the ending. And again, I don't think a lot of people would pick up on this, but if it was intended the way I think it was intended, and even if it's not, I'm gonna accept this as my own personal headcanon. <laughs> but uh the that little that little thing at the end, that little itty bitty door that they open up at the end, it's it, it makes the ending in my mind so much better. So much better. Interesting. So I really hope it's the way they intended it. The, the entire series, I think, is really good. A ton of setup, obviously, as a lot of horror media is. But the payoff, I think, is really, really well done. The show is really well done. Uh, I Again, I hope, especially with the ending, I hope they don't make another season. I think they might. I think there might have been something possibly hinting toward a second season. But I personally hope that these eight episodes are all we get of Detention. And I hope what I've said has inspired you to check it out again. If you have Netflix, it's all all episodes are available to stream now on the streaming giant.
0: Yeah, I mean, we love the game. And uh, and I really watching this series is at the top of my list, especially now that the uh, eight episodes have all come out and it's all there that I can sit and binge. You know, that's what I've been kind of waiting on. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but um, it is the sort of thing where I'm very interested in this just by proxy, just by how much I enjoyed the game. And yeah, I'm I'm super intrigued. <laughs> it's definitely, it's at the top of my list. So
1: very much looking forward to talk with you about the ending and see if you picked up on what I picked up on. Mm-hmm. But what about you, buddy? What have you been up to?
0: Yeah, of course. I think uh, like many, many others, you and I both rang in the new year in Animal Crossing New Horizons.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, I I even altered my sleep schedule around a little bit specifically so that I could be in my New Horizons Plaza for the countdown.
0: Yeah, no, it was awesome. I I always like seeing the way that Animal Crossing sort of handles that. And with this one in particular, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just because of how much raw time I've spent. I don't know if it's because of the attachment I have to my island due to just the, you know, and all the stuff we've talked about ad nauseum about the game, the connection that I have to the game, the relation to it in 2020 and and all this stuff, just something about it felt more special to me than ever before. You know what I mean?
1: Well, it is our game of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I really liked it. It was just nice to be in my little plaza with all those people, uh, that, you know, all these villagers and Islanders that I've come to know and love. And, uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was kind of a nice way to ring in 2021. And then immediately after <laughs> my wife and I rang in the new year together playing uh clubhouse games, <laughs>
2: <Nice>. <laughs> which was kind of fun. Nice. But we've
0: actually been playing quite a bit of that lately. We'll just kind of pop on there. And the game that has really sort of uh, taken off with us is yacht dice, the, you know, Yahtzee essentially. And uh, nice. we, we just, uh, we just played like a bunch of Yahtzee and, you know, uh, that, that game is so conducive to, like, it's a competitive game, but it's also a weirdly supportive game for us, where, like, we try to help each other out, and we're, like, trying to help each other with strategies and stuff like that, and, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with that, and I will, just as a PSA about Animal Crossing real quick, there are some, now that you can access the kiosk again, in the, <laughs> in the actual, uh, community center, um, there are some items that you can order through the kiosk now through the nook shopping that are now live that are new year's themed. And there's sort of like international, like, you know, you got stuff from all over the world to bring in the new year that you can order now that I don't think has been super widely publicized. So just a PSA there.
1: Yeah. I think they're available until the 15th. Yes. So do check those out. I didn't check. Obviously we've been talking about every time a new month, drops we talk about the new bugs the new fish and the new sea creatures i honestly didn't even look to see what new sea creatures are available so
0: yeah there's nothing new for the northern hemisphere this month unfortunately
1: yeah well if you got it when the game originally came out and you've been keeping up with it hopefully you have all the bugs and all the fish do keep an eye out for new sea creatures there's a ton of tables and references online to find out when each available creature will become available on your island filling out that museum is honestly one of my favorite things to do in any animal crossing oh, yeah. game but specific but talking about amazing things to do in Animal Crossing. I certainly did ring in the new year with Animal Crossing as well. And this one was was kind of special for me. This is only the second time that I've ever been able to do it. And mm. I did it specifically because of the first time. Because the first time I rang in the new year with Animal Crossing was, I was in Afghanistan, as a matter of fact. Right. It was 2013 going into 2014. And I rang in the new year over in Afghanistan with Animal Crossing New Leaf on my 3DS. And I was going to do it anyway this year, but I just kind of wanted to do that, you know, just to kind of bring back those memories. Right. That second deployment wasn't exactly very fun for me, but I did very much, I did have very fond memories of that specific moment, especially because I was kind of lucky to even have a 3DS in Afghanistan, just very quickly. Uh, my 3DS actually died straight up. Just battery just went kaputskis on me. Really? When we, when we got in country. Now, for those who've never been to Afghanistan, uh, when you deploy, you stage. And I think it was Kaza I think we were in Kazakhstan uh, for about two or three days, just waiting on a flight to our base in Afghanistan. And this was within... 36 hours of us getting into country, the 36 hours of us actually deploying from Fort Polk and my battery just went kaputskis on me. And I was like, wow, this is about to be a long deployment. (laughs) But I sent my 3DS into Nintendo. They weren't able to save my save data necessarily. Uh, Thankfully, I hadn't really done too much in Animal Crossing up to that point. Uh, Actually, I think the game hadn't released yet. I think I had the game sent over right after it came out. Oh, uh it okay. came out in 2013, yeah. Uh, I think it had come out and I had it sent over to myself, but it took about a month for me to get it back, but I did send my 3DS to Nintendo. They were able to fix it, get a new battery into it, whatever they needed to do free of charge and did send it back to me in Afghanistan so I was able to spend uh I was able to to push back the insanity of the deployment uh using my 3ds it was was very very happy that nintendo was able to take care of that for me i almost went an entire deployment without a 3ds that would not have been good times for our hero
0: (laughs) no definitely not (laughs) that's awesome though but yeah very happy to ring in the new year with animal crossing definitely check out those items really really quickly i don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it but i did just want to shout out soul on disney plus um Watch that. It's a very good movie. I really, really liked it, man. I Again, I don't want to get super into the weeds on it just because I know that there's a lot sort of to be spoiled. I think the less you know going into it, the better. Um, I agree. But yeah, man, I, I really liked it. It's definitely up there. I think Pixar has been kind of on an, kind of an upswing lately. They've been making some good ones between this and Onward. I, I've really been happy with Pixar. I've really had a good time with Soul. So highly recommend it.
1: Yeah. If you haven't checked it out, that's available on Disney plus came out on Christmas day, came out on the twenty. came out on the 25th. It's been on most critics, best animated films of the year lists.
0: I also just wanted to shout out that uh Zelda side quest ends today um, at the time of this recording still going on, but it did end today and will end today. And uh, they are currently at the time of this recording at over $70,000 raised for charity water. So, huge success over there. Uh, We're big fans of SideQuest and Zeldathon and everything they do. So, congratulations to that whole team. Um, I do want to shout out that Awesome Games Done Quick 2021 is starting tomorrow. So, you're coming off of one charity event right into another one. And uh, so, there's definitely a lot of good, positive energy kind of coming into this new year.
1: Yeah, shout out to Super MC Gamer, a friend of the show, and everybody over at Zeldathon. Love what you're doing, guys.
0: Yes, and speaking of positive energy, I've got kind of a personal thing to talk about for a second that I wanted to sort of announce here on the show as kind of a monthly recurring segment that I want to do. Um, And that is, and I I sort of alluded to this without realizing it with with my name this week, Uh, Ring Fit Adventure. This is something that, a game that I picked up Back in I think like July or August or something. I talked about it on the show and I picked it up. And I kind of like f- fooled around with it. I mostly bought it just because of the novelty of it, to be honest with you. I just wanted to see what all the fuss was about at the time. <laughs> it was fair. it was like, yeah, it was like super hard to find at the time, you know. And I was just kind of like, let's see what this is, you know. And I think I played it like twice and never touched it again. So coming into the new year. I, like a lot of people, it is not uncommon for folks to want to focus on health and weight loss as you start a new year. And a couple of weeks ago, I sort of made that decision for myself. I have been at a, with my, you know, just to get personal for a second, with my weight, I've been at a standstill for years now. My metabolism has slowed to a crawl due to things like I worked overnight for seven and a half years. I have like sleep apnea, like In terms of metabolism, it's very much an uphill battle and talking to a lot of friends that I have that are doctors and I have a friend who's a nutritionist and they basically are like, hey, you know, like the way that you're going to lose weight is you're just going to have to exercise and exercise consistently. And this is always, I don't think I'm alone in this. It's a struggle for people, I think, to stay motivated and to, you kind of get wrapped up in your own world. You feel like you're too busy for exercise and stuff like this. So I had this thought of like, how do I keep myself motivated to daily exercise and to really, you know, take some of this weight off? You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I came up with the idea of, you know, the way that I'm going to keep myself motivated is making content for the show. <laughs> I'm like, I if I keep myself and hold myself accountable with a monthly segment on the show documenting my journey with Ring Fit Adventure, losing a little bit of weight, maybe even motivating some of our listeners in the process, I think that would be a really good thing. So what my plan is, is every day in 2021, I'm going to work out, and play Ring Fit Adventure. Um, I am currently sticking to a a 30-minute-a-day workout. There may be days where I do less. There may be days where I do more. It's going to kind of depend on my schedule. Uh, You know, if I get, like, super sick or something, obviously I'm not going to be working out with the uh, Ring Fit Adventure and Drago and stuff like that. (laughs) But I'm going to try to stick to this, and I want everybody here, all of our listeners, to hold me accountable and I want to come on here every month on the show and sort of document my progress. Um, so for the last show of every month, I'm going to document kind of how Ring Fit Adventure has been helping me with uh, with my personal health. Because, you know, I don't eat poorly. Um, I kind of, I know that it's going to come down to exercise. And Nintendo has released this product that makes exercise fun. So, that's my plan. I've already started. Of course, we're two days into the new year, so I have already begun my journey with Ring Fit Adventure. And um, it's it's been a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a really cool project. I'm really excited about it. And I'm hoping to shed some pounds in the process. So hopefully everybody can uh, follow along with me on this journey.
1: Man, I, I know what it's like to try to lose weight. Uh, I did. I was able to. Years and years ago, I did have some success with Dance Dance Revolution of all games. Nice.
0: A lot of people do Zumba, right? Dancing's effective.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure that a lot of people use Just Dance to, to get their target heart rate up. But uh, Wii Fit, we Fit Plus, they never really did it for me. But I was able to, to burn quite a few calories playing DDR
0: back in the day. I, I gotta be honest, man. Like, playing Ring Fit Adventure seriously now... And and like I, I'm taking it pretty seriously. I actually bought myself a yoga mat and stuff like that, and um, I, I'm kind of I'm getting into it. And uh, I think I'm going to actually get some uh, some ankle weights to sort of add a little extra layer of uh, productivity to it. And I'm just I'm going to go for it, man. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm, like I said, if I motivate some people in the process, that I, I consider that a win. And uh that game, I tell you what, that game's a workout, man. It's like an actually it's a good workout. And uh they have done a good thing <laughs> with Ring Fit Adventure. So You know, I still haven't tried it. I
1: need to find one and pick it up and actually try it for myself.
0: I really think if you do pick it up and if you do give it a shot, I think you'll be really impressed. I I am very impressed with the game in terms of all the content in there, in terms of the way they've integrated the fitness. Um, in terms of the... There's like a light story to it that's actually really interesting. Yeah, I've seen something about that, yeah. Yeah, like way more interesting than it honestly has any right to be. So anyway, that's my long-winded way of saying that I'm taking weight loss seriously in 2021. I want to bring you guys along on this journey with me. End of every month, I'm going to touch base. And uh, yeah, Ring Fit Adventure. That's going to be a a staple in my video gaming uh, in 2021. So that's the announcement. Uh, we have got a lot of news to cover, and and this is uh this is something that I think we should get right into. What do you say?
1: Yeah, let's get into our very first news drop
0: of 2021. Hey, listen. So right here at the top, I've got kind of an interesting thing that kind of came across our desk, and that is that Amazon US has listed the top ten best-selling games of 2020. And I don't want to get into like every single solitary thing, but I do want to notate that. All but two of them are first-party Nintendo titles. The only two games on here that are not first-party Nintendo titles was Cyberpunk 2077 and The Last of Us Part Two. Everything else was a first-party Nintendo title, just further cementing Nintendo's absolute domination in the sales for 2020.
1: I do want to very quickly point out Cyberpunk 2077 because... That's one of the best-selling games of the year. It only came out like two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, it came out, I think, like December 10th or something like that. And I mean, never underestimate the amount of hype that went into that game.
1: And I know a lot of that was pre-orders, a lot of that was pre-sales, and obviously CD Projekt Red is having quite a few post-launch issues with the game. But still, that is an insane amount of sales for a game that only just came out. But You know, there have been some very notable releases this year. I was kind of surprised that Final Fantasy VII Remake didn't crack the top 10.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, again, it's, I think it would have in any other year, but this year the list is dominated by, like, number one, Animal Crossing New Horizons, number two, 3D All-Stars, number three, Mario Kart 8. You got Smash Ultimates in there, Ring Fit is in there, Age of Calamity, even Breath of the Wild is in the top 10. So, uh, I mean, we have reported time and time again month after month on how the switch has just dominated the sales month after month i think it's on like a 24 month like like streak right now in terms of best selling hardware for the past 2 years running and uh people picking up all these new switches have got to buy games to go with it so yeah and this is just amazon of course and this is just in the us so it's a super you know focused uh, market, super focused list here, but I did find that very interesting.
1: Well, I mean, it's not that focused. Jeff Bezos has all of the money. He has That's true. all of our money on the planet. Amazon, of course, the biggest retailer in the world right now. So uh, I, I would not even call their top 10 best-selling games a microcosm. That wouldn't surprise me if all of their top best-selling everything was essentially consistent with the best-selling in every category across the world. Games, movies, DVDs, even housewares.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that being fairly fairly consistent. And, and we won't know until uh, we get our final NPD report for December. That's not going to happen. We probably... Hmm, I don't think they've announced the date yet. But either next episode or the episode after that, we'll re- we'll be reporting on that. But uh, we'll see how everything shook out in December. But yeah, I just thought that these were pretty incredible statistics.
1: Yeah, congratulations to Nintendo for continuing to make all the money. Good job, guys. Now, a really interesting story that did come out this past week. Uh, Reggie fils was part of a podcast, a little seven-part program that was produced back in April called Talking Games with Reggie and Harold. However, when Nintendo was promoting this product this past week, they mentioned one of the stories that shows up in the program, and it just caught wildfire. All of a sudden, people are just now finding out about this this story, and the story was, uh, apparently a few years ago, post-E3, Kanye West approached Reggie fils and actually had a meeting with the former head of Nintendo of America about a potential collaboration on a Nintendo game. I...
0: Wow. Yeah, that's the kind of story you see and you're just kind of like speechless. <laughs> Kanye West actively sought to
1: collaborate with Nintendo on creating a game and one of the big things about the story that came out was the fact that Reggie said he had to quote-unquote politely decline Mr. West and apparently Kim Kardashian West was there as part of the meeting as well we didn't really see too many details about what was potentially discussed about what Kanye's real pitch was but uh, Reggie did mention that he had to politely decline the offer From Kanye, despite the fact that Reggie's insistence that Nintendo is very hard to work with because they're always looking for the best, most excellent content. They're always looking for uh, excellence from their partners. That apparently only motivated Kanye more saying, quote, that's why I want to work with you guys. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, no, I can can totally see that. Kanye West seems like that kind of guy. Like, that would just be saying something like that, dropping a statement like that, just seems like it would be blood in the water to the shark that is Kanye West. Like, he would totally be all about that.
1: But what would especially a 2020 Kanye, what would a 2020 Kanye West Nintendo game even look like? Experimental seems like it might be an understatement.
0: Yeah, he was working on like some kind of thing about a I think he made a like a pitch for a game or like a concept trailer for a game uh, about like the passing of his mother or something like that some years ago i don't think we've heard any sort of update about that or if he's still even working on it but uh but yeah he's a very interesting guy to say the least well if you guys
1: want to hear more about it again this was part of talking games with reggie and harold Uh, it was created back in april i believe it was done in conjunction with the new york video game critic circle but if you want to check those out and see the entire conversation for yourself do check that out but Again, this story just went viral this past week and caught fire, and just the thought of a potential Nintendo-Kanye West collaboration really set Twitter ablaze for a while there with everybody just wondering <laughs> what in the world that would even look like. And admittedly for us, that, that that does sound like it would be interesting enough to at least check out.
0: I mean, yeah. That would be the kind of thing where, like, if I see, if I watch, like, a new Nintendo Direct, and all of a sudden Kanye West is walking up next to our good friend Doug Bowser, I think it would be a (laughs) a fairly interesting turn of events. We'd have to at least check it out. It'd be like some weird rhythm game where
1: you have to rap to fight dragons in a Skyrim-like environment or something. I'd play it. I'd I, I, I think I would too. I'm not really a Kanye West guy, but I would. I think I would check that out if that was what the game was.
0: <laughs> well, we did have, speaking of something that set the internet ablaze, we did have a lot of uh, rampant speculation leading into this collaboration. The Pokemon company was apparently one of the sponsors of a like special New Year stream from the International Space Station. And they took to Twitter and said that there was going to be some Pokemon appearing on the stream and there were some rampant online rumors that this was going to be the way that they teased or otherwise announced a diamond and pearl remake which has been long rumored long wished for long talked about and the internet at large seemed to think that this was going to be the platform that the pokemon company was going to choose to announce this on which honestly was always kind of ridiculous however what ended up happening was kind of much ado about nothing. It was we did see some Pokemon. I think we saw like Rayquaza pop up. Uh, like Pikachu was like chilling with one of the astronauts on the stream. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of uh, nothing crazy. But uh, at the end of it, they did announce. That a special Pikachu is being distributed uh, until January 15th. You can go inside of your copy of Pokemon Sword and Shield and you can claim the mystery gift. What was like I think, Kaibo Pikachu? Is that what it is? Kibo. 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 Kibo, okay.
1: Now, the 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 reason I know that actually is very interesting because, ironically enough, I have a tertiary kind of relationship with the Japanese Kibo lab. That's part of the international space station. Okay. For a very short time between 2007, 2008, I actually worked at Kennedy space center down in Florida. Oh, right, right, right. And during my time there, some days I would find myself working, find my duties uh, at the International Space Station Center, the ISSC. And it just so happened that when I was working there happened to be when uh, the Japanese scientists, the Japanese technicians were working on the Kibo lab in the ISSC. So I actually got to see the Kibo lab uh, up close and personal quite a bit before oh, cool. it got launched into space. It was really, really interesting Building to work in, obviously you get to see all the different parts and the different plans going into making the International Space Station a success. And it was really, really cool to be around that for, if only for a couple of years. But yeah, just knowing that there's now a special Kibo Lab Pikachu being released in Pokemon Sword and Shield, I thought it was really cool. Again, like Seth said, just launch Pokemon Sword or Shield, go into the Mystery Gift function, just select the Kibo Pikachu from the available options and there he is.
0: Yeah. You didn't see any Pikachu floating around in there when you uh, got a chance to see it in person. Did you? Yep.
1: <laughs> uh, I actually there, there I have a non-disclosure agreement uh, okay. with the things that I was, <laughs> so I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of real life Pokemon at the international space station.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. The, the plot of detective Pikachu was weirder than that. So that, uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that sounds about right.
1: But yeah, a lot of people were really expecting, especially with 2021 being the 25th anniversary of the Pokemon franchise, which we've already talked about. That's one of the reasons we're so looking forward to 2021 is all the potential announcements the Pokemon company is going to make. A lot of people thought they were really going to jumpstart that with this New Year's Eve stream coming out and saying, oh, guys, by the way, Diamond and Pearl remake, it's happening. It feels like everybody thought that and... I uh, I guess when you start doing such rampant speculation like that you do kind of set yourself up for disappointment. Right. Now we still we still have a lot of the year left obviously considering that it's only been around for a day. But <laughs> uh I don't know that I think they could still happen just because we didn't get them here during this stream I don't think that means that they don't exist. I know that was a lot of that was like a triple negative sentence but <laughs> Uh, I I don't know. I don't think the fact that this was a slightly deflating announcement is indicative of the rest of the year. I I still personally think the Kipo Pikachu is is really cool. But then again, I do have a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say that I was part of the the International Space Station crew or anything, but (laughs) uh, I personally appreciated just a little bit more than the average person would, I think.
0: That's fair. Well, and yeah, and I, you know, I completely agree. I think that not only do I not think that they're off the table, I I think they probably are happening. I think a Diamond and Pearl remake is quite likely to be happening this year, but this was never going to be the platform they announced it on. Um, we're too close to the 25th anniversary. Of course, they did announce like the sort of existence of the 25th anniversary during like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade of, of all things. So we know that they are going to be doing quite a bit for the 25th anniversary, but I don't expect it. You know, we're we're too close to that. It's, that that's next month. I think that's when we're going to get the blowout. I think that's when we're going to get news on, like, new Pokemon Snap. If there is a Diamond and Pearl remake coming, I think that's when we're going to hear about that. I, I think we just, I think the proximity was just not right with that. They're not going to go on this stream that, you know, that the ISS was putting on. To announce such a major title for them, but I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if the big fall Pokemon title was a Diamond and Pearl remake. I think a lot of people would be stoked for that. I
1: would. I never actually got to finish Platinum. That was my entry point into Gen Four because they were still doing the the special edition, the third right release for each generation. So I waited for Platinum, like many other people. That was my my entry point into Gen Four. I never did wind up finishing. Platinum, because you know, it turns out Pokemon games are pretty sizable. Yeah, but if they do wind up releasing Diamond and Pearl remakes, that would give me more than enough reason to finally go back and rectify that egregious oversight of not beating them in the first place. So, <laughs> but we don't know if those are releasing the in terms of games that we also don't kind of know. Maybe some way, somehow, have been releasing.
0: Yeah, it
1: turns out that. <laughs> On Nintendo's official Japanese website, <laughs> this past week, they had temporarily listed for the Wii U eShop, Banjo-Kazooie, and Blast Corps, two of Rare's classic games from the Nintendo 64.
0: I mean, when I saw this trending on Twitter, I, I wake up, I look at Twitter, and I see that Banjo-Kazooie is trending. My heart yeah. stops. Okay. Yeah. Grant Grant Kirkhope was
1: like, why is Banjo trending?
0: I mean, I was, I was like, uh, I was aghast for a second there, and then when I saw that, when I, when I looked at this really bizarre story, I had to dig into it, and I had to, I'm like, is there any hope? Is there any indication that maybe this was kind of hinting at any sort of like, is this could this potentially be coming to switch? I do think there is a more than zero percent chance of that eventually happening of Banjo Kazooie and maybe even Blast Core coming to switch, but this does seem like it was just a weird, you know, looking deeper into it, it does seem like this is a complete, just weird website error. It could be that maybe they had something arranged to it being like released on the virtual console for Wii U at some point. Uh, and maybe they just forgot to delist it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously not happening and uh, it's not really an indicator of anything that could be happening soon for the switch, unfortunately, but It was still cool. It was still kind of cool to see uh, Banjo-Kazooie trending on Twitter.
1: You know, it's been so funny replaying through Donkey Kong Country 3 because there's a lot of uh, bear characters in Donkey Kong Country 3. You have the bear brothers, and you can really, really see the beginnings of Banjo's design there in Donkey Kong Country 3 with the design of the bear brothers. But uh, even though this wound up being a red herring, I I think we can, at the very least take this as Nintendo at least attempting to deepen their relationship with Rare. Obviously, Rare is still owned by Microsoft, but we were able to get Banjo-Kazooie and Super Smash Brothers for the two of you out there who might not already know that. And I think the fact that there was even a, a listing like this created for Rare Games Uh, That tells me at the absolute very least that Nintendo is at least attempting to deepen that partnership with Rare in some way. Now, what we wind up getting out of that, if anything, will remain to be seen, but at the very least, that's what I took from it is Nintendo really, really trying to reach back out and really trying to create a new connection with Rare and possibly bring some of their old catalog back to Nintendo consoles.
0: It would certainly make me a very, very happy person.
1: Yeah, it turns out Rare made some pretty good games on uh, some Nintendo consoles. We might have even <laughs> yeah. done a top five on that a few months ago. You ought to go check that out.
0: I, I, I'm pretty prolific with my Banjo-Kazooie love. It's one of my favorite games of all time. But, um, man, it I, I definitely have that kind of like Hawkeye, like, don't do that, don't give me hope kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now, it would have been cool if they could have got those games on the Nintendo Switch. Somehow, they would have been some really nice additions to these Starlight Nintendo Switch gaming stations. Now, these Starlight Nintendo Switch gaming stations were announced last year as part of the Starlight Children's Network, an organization that does everything it can to help alien and terminally ill children Uh, around the country and they partnered with Nintendo last year to create some Nintendo switch gaming stations uh, for distribution to different hospitals. And they reported through starlight.org back on the 10th that they had been finished. And this past week they started to roll out to the different hospitals nationwide. Uh, I believe several hundred of these stations have been rolling out to different hospitals and kids at different wards around the country which is fantastic. They've got a bunch of Nintendo games preloaded onto the system. And it's, it's really great because these were announced prior to the world going absolutely insane with COVID. And the entire point of these game stations is to give these children a protected way to play their favorite Nintendo games and especially with all of the precautions being taken because of the ongoing global pandemic these are just going to be more of a boon i think these are even more relevant now than when they were first introduced so very happy to see that all these young children around the country are going to be able to experience these games in a way that still keeps them protected
0: that's awesome man i love stories like this I, you know it's I do something too. yeah it's it's something that i uh I'm kind of passionate about, I I have actually for the past, I don't know, 10 to 12 years or so. um, Every holiday I donate to child's play charity. And the kind of impetus behind that charity in particular is something very similar to this, where it's about getting video games and toys to sick kids in the hospital, because the whole thing about it is like, you know, video games are not the cure, right? It's, It's not the kind of thing that a hospital budgets for. So when you can get kids, you know, it's been proven with studies that kids are much more receptive to treatment and medication if they're able to, you know, say, grab a DS and play Mario Kart or whatever, you know, to deal with the horribleness going on around them. So this is awesome. Uh, for these kids to have access to, like you said, a protected way to play the Nintendo Switch and all their favorite Nintendo games, uh, this is just a huge win, I think.
1: It is. And I don't want to give the impression that this has been an isolated partnership on Starlight.org. Right. It actually says that uh, this is just for Nintendo Switch gaming stations. Starlight has been partnering with Nintendo for almost 30 years and wow. since they have delivered And says they have delivered 72 separate gaming stations over those past three decades to over 800 hospitals, so this just the latest line, the latest iteration of that partnership. And of course, again, because the global pandemic is probably more relevant now than ever. And especially with the number of amazing games on the Nintendo Switch, very happy that they're getting into even more and deserving hands.
0: I love stories like that. I, you know, good work. Good work, guys. Good work, Starlight. Good work, Nintendo. Indeed. Good.
1: Feel good story for 2021.
0: I love it. We're starting off well there. (laughs) But I've got another kind of interesting thing that floated through that could potentially give us So there's not much here, uh, admittedly, but, you know, the Kirby developer, Hal Laboratory has teased. The existence of new projects related to the Kirby IP for 2021. In an interview with 4 Gamer, uh, three directors from HAL tease new games, merchandise, and events. Um, we've got a few different quotes here, uh, but the interesting one is from Yumi Toto here. That says, quote, we'll keep working hard on our goal in 2021, that is, for as many people as possible to enjoy Kirby games. We have plans not only for games, but also for merchandise, books, and a variety of events like with the Kirby Cafe. We hope you'll continue to support both Kirby and HAL Laboratory in 2021, end quote. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that we all sort of expected that more Kirby was coming this year, but it is kind of nice to have the actual people that make the games confirm that.
1: That's certainly not confirmation of a core title. Obviously, in the past year, we did have Kirby drop, uh, especially recently we had Kirby Shadow Drop, Kirby Fighters 2, which Seth and I both really, really enjoyed especially for a $20 Smash Brothers clone, it was a lot of fun that had a lot of single player content and a lot of unlockable stuff to really sink your teeth into. Uh, And again, just uh, for for a $20 package, we very, very highly recommend it. It would be nice to see a, a new core Kirby game. However, if they still keep coming out with these fun little... I don't want to say micro, but these fun little, not quite full game size Kirby releases, I'd still kind of be okay with that. Obviously, I would still love to see a core new core Kirby game. I really do like what they were able to do with Star Allies, especially after all the DLC. But uh, just more Kirby. I'm I'm down. More Kirby. I would like to see, admittedly, with all the Kirby spinoffs that have been coming out, especially in recent years, I think I'd almost like to see a Kirby spinoff collection, because especially Mm. back on the Game Boy, you had like Kirby Pinball, Kirby Blockball, Kirby Star Stacker. Uh, It'd be cool with all the different collections and remasters and reissues coming out if they decided to revisit a couple of those, because I know that they're available on the 3DS, and I have them all currently on my 3DS, but... Uh, I, I wouldn't hate the thought of playing Kirby block ball or Kirby pinball on my Nintendo switch.
0: Kirby's had some really great little experimental, like spinoff games, little side titles. And uh, Kirby has, is no stranger to experimental, even mainline games. When you think about things like mass attack and canvas curse and rainbow curse and, you know, Epic yarn. I mean, Kirby is, is a franchise that they can take a lot of different directions And I liked Star Allies a lot too. I do think it's time for a new mainline Kirby game. I do think it's time for a bit of a shakeup in the standard Kirby formula and uh, that we've really been seeing since the uh, Return to Dreamland on the Wii. Um, And they've been great, but I do think it's getting a little bit long in the tooth and I would like to see a kind of shakeup of that. I've talked in the past about how I'd love to see a 3D Kirby game. You know, we'll see. But it is nice that there's going to be plenty of Kirby Core game or no, plenty of Kirby content to uh, fall in love with in
1: 2021. I uh, can't wait. It wouldn't surprise me if it wound up being another shadow drop like it was with Kirby Fighters 2. But if right. it is, I'm down. Now, in a fun, random story that happened a couple days ago, uh, Hidden Palace on Twitter somehow got their hands on a prototype version of the original Sonic 1. So, for those of you interested in video game history, Check out the streams, check out the video footage. And I just thought that this was really, really interesting. Of course, originally released for the Sega Genesis, since been released uh, 38,000 times on varying Nintendo consoles over the years. Right. I I think just about everybody has played the original Sonic 1 at some point. So seeing this prototype version was really, really interesting, especially playing through Labyrinth Zone with no water. That was really, really weird to see and honestly might have made Labyrinth Zone better. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I was just going to say that I completely agree. I did a little bit of research on this because Hidden Palace actually, this has been a little bit of a white whale for them. To acquire a Sonic 1 prototype. They have acquired prototype versions of almost every classic Sonic game in the past, but this one has eluded them. They've been able to pick up bits and pieces and they work with organizations like the Video Game History Foundation. Um, Just last week we had Kelsey Lewin from there on the show to talk about video game history. So they do work with them. They are all about kind of preserving these games and getting every little bit of history, including prototype versions. Uh, available for historians and for people to look back on. Um, so this was really cool to see. It was cool. That they got their hands on this. Uh, it was from like an anonymous donor that, uh, that let them have at this and yeah, stream it on Twitch. And uh, it was kind of just a fun, crazy little story and uh cool to see early versions of these unused levels.
1: It kind of reminded me of that Giga leak from, earlier in, in 2020 right. that we geeked out over. I just, I really, really like stuff like this, the whole development process, seeing the different iterations that games go through, especially classic all time classics like Sonic the Hedgehog, the original Sonic the Hedgehog, especially because it was such a game changer for Sega seeing, you know, it's early build and, and the steps that it took to become the industry giant that it became is just really, really interesting to me. So again, Hidden Palace on Twitch, if this is something that interests you, check them out, check out the video footage, and let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, and real quick to kind of close out the news drop, uh, we did want to just shout out that until the 5th, Uh, If you are a Nintendo Switch Online subscriber, you can download and play the full version of Crash Team Racing completely for free under their Game Trials program. So that is available to you if you're an NSO subscriber. You can go in there, get the full version of the game for the next few days, and uh, and yeah, play it totally for free.
1: Yeah, I'm all about demos, but having the actual full game... Available for free. I was all over that. And if you're listening to this the weekend this episode drops, do make sure to check that out. Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled is just a really, really fun super little kart racer. And uh, again, it's a free retail game. Uh all for a limited time, yeah, but it's a great fun retail game that you get to play for free. Did I mention it was free?
0: <laughs> well, and also You can download this and it'll give you a really solid idea if you like it enough to purchase it, right? And then go in and get on the eShop and purchase the full version of the game even after this game trial period runs out. So I think it's really cool. They've done this a few times in the past. I think they did it with uh, both Arms and Mario Tennis Aces in the past. So really cool. I'd like to see Nintendo continue this. Uh, Again, Crash Team Racing uh, on the short list of a lot of people's favorite kart racers of all time. So... Uh, It's definitely worth checking out. You only have a few more days to do it, but hey, you never know. You may download this and and fall in love with it and wind up buying the full version even after the trial period ends.
1: And if you do wind up checking out Crash Team Racing Nitro Field, if you do wind up checking out that Sonic 1 prototype, again, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. And please do subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast on whatever service you're listening to us on, whether it's Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, or iTunes. We love each and every one of our listeners. Thank you so much for making us part of your weekly rotation and hanging out with us each and every Saturday.
0: Well, folks, moving on from the news and kind of with the holidays behind us, we were sort of thinking... That a lot of you, you know, obviously we've got a lot of hardcore Nintendo fans, people who already own Switches and have already spent hundreds and hundreds of hours with them uh, listening to the show right now. But it occurs to us that we probably also have got plenty of new Nintendo fans, new Nintendo Switch owners And this week on the show, we thought we might dedicate an entire segment to you guys, to the new Nintendo Switch owners, kind of give you a guide, what sort of things you'd be looking out for, what are some accessories you might want to look into, settings And uh, kind of get into the weeds on it and kind of steer you in the right direction if you are a new Nintendo Switch owner.
1: Yes, I've owned a Nintendo Switch since the day it came out way, way back in March 2017. And there are still a couple things about the Nintendo Switch that I only learned recently that I really wish somebody had told me. So hopefully we'll knock a few of those out for quite a few of you today, set you on the right path, set you up
0: for success as it were. Yes, indeed. So let's get into it. So I think right out the gate, when you get your Nintendo Switch and you've unboxed it and you've got all the basic setup done, I think the first thing that we recommend you do is sort of just play with the settings. There are a lot of things that you can customize to your liking on the Nintendo Switch in the settings menu, um, both on the eShop and at a system level.
1: Yes. Now, in terms of customization, though, no, you are not crazy. There are only two themes white and black. We are still waiting on more. However, there are some things that we do really think that you should check out. Now, we know that a lot of you are going to be playing this with multiple people. We know that a lot of you are buying this for your kids or you're buying this to play along with yourself and a significant other. Regardless, we know that for many of you, there are going to be multiple concurrent players on your nintendo switch so one of the first right. things we very very much recommend is setting up alternate profiles for each person now there's a couple reasons to do this i think the most important reason to do this specifically is there's a lot of nintendo switch games that will only hold one save file per right. profile So a lot of you out there may be thinking, oh, it's fine. I'll just set up one profile and, you know, all my kids can play just on mine. It'll be fine. But if you're planning on playing some of the same games as the other players on the Nintendo Switch, which I imagine a lot of you are, you're probably going to want your own save files for those games, especially for these story based games. So the best way to do that is just to go ahead and set up a profile for each game person who's going to be on the Nintendo switch.
0: And you can tie these profiles to both new and existing Nintendo accounts. So if you were a, a Wii 3DS Wii U owner who had a Nintendo network ID, you can then tie that to your new profile on your new switch. And the same can be said for making a a brand new Nintendo ID and, uh, and all that stuff ties together and you can actually, so a good example of this before my wife got her own switch she had her own profile on mine tied to her Nintendo network ID. And then we were able to easily transfer all of that stuff over to her new switch when she got uh, one of her own. So very, very handy, very clean. And we highly recommend that. And speaking of Nintendo IDs, if you don't have an
1: official account with Nintendo.com, if you don't have your own Nintendo ID, that is also something you really, really should consider setting up. If for no other reason, then you get credit based on all of the Nintendo games you buy, both physical yes. and digital. You can earn gold coins, as they're called, uh, for Nintendo, and you can wind up reclaiming those for free games. As a matter of fact, just within the past few months, I claimed both Hades and Horus, the game that I've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, as free downloads because of the coins that I've accumulated uh, on my Nintendo ID. So that's just free money. And again, for just about every Nintendo game, every game that you can buy on the Nintendo switch, you can get these coins. You can get free credit for.
0: Yep. If you get the games digitally, it's automatically applied to your account that is tied to the one that you've purchased the game with. Or if you get the games physically, you can insert the cartridge and go into the settings of the actual game itself and redeem them that way. And, uh, and yeah, these can be applied to games with the gold coins Um, I have like my copy of super smash brothers ultimate was free that way. I paid nothing for it. And these are just coins that I accumulated simply from being a Nintendo fan, essentially. And if you really want to get into the weeds of my Nintendo, you can earn platinum coins that you can use on like physical rewards that they've started putting on the website. So it's pretty cool. It is really cool. Be careful about going down that rabbit hole. Both Seth and I have made that
1: mistake Mm. in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, very much do create multiple accounts, do very much set up a Nintendo network ID for yourself. Now, and again, because we understand that a lot of you, again, are going to be having young children playing on the Nintendo Switch with you, uh, you should have seen it while you were doing your initial setup of the Nintendo Switch. However, there are some fairly robust parental controls that you can set up for uh, your system. It is tied to a parental controls app that you can download on your phone and you can control the parental controls on your Nintendo switch directly from your smart device. So it is really, really convenient and you can kind of tailor them on the fly based on, you know, maybe your kid had a really good day at school and you want to give them a few extra minutes to play Mario Kart or something. And you can do that through the app. Now, there's a really, really handy three-minute video if you go into parental controls under the Nintendo Switch system settings that explains this really well. But we just wanted to point that out real quick that that is something that you're probably going to want to take advantage of because it does allow you to set time limits. It can actually allow you to sleep the Nintendo Switch remotely if you so choose. So uh, if you're kid's been on playing for five hours and you told them they could only play for one then you could actually go on remotely and sleep the system if you did want to go that route
0: i bet my parents wish they had this when i like stayed up way too late under the covers playing with my game boy
1: exactly (laughs) all our younger listeners out there right now are like shut up guys shut up shut up shut
0: up (laughs) right Definitely not showing this to mom. Exactly. <laughs> no, mom, you can't listen to the newest episode. <laughs> yeah, but to sort of piggyback off of that, there are also plenty of settings to kind of acclimate yourself with when it comes to the eShop. Um, the eShop being the Nintendo Switch's digital storefront, which is where you're going to you know, purchase digital games, independent games, download demos and stuff like that. Uh, One of the, there's all sorts of things you can play with there from everything from a wish list to a wallet. That's where you can see your available funds with your gold points and stuff like this. But I think the number one thing we want to point out here is the way that the eShop can store your credit card information.
1: Yes, indeed, because you can choose to have your credit card information saved permanently to your Nintendo Switch account. Now, I do that because it makes things really convenient for me. I just go into the Nintendo eShop, say, hey, I want to buy that game. The Nintendo Switch says, cool, bro. You want to use this credit card we have in stock for you? Yeah, sure. Use that. They say, cool. Game's downloading. And it's really that easy. Now, Seth doesn't do it. Uh, for a very specific reason.
0: Yeah, so if you're like me, I mean, and this is just something I'm I'm paranoid about stuff like this. When, you know, there was a, I think several years ago, there was like an eShop hack that happened. And ever since then, I've been a little bit gun shy about putting my credit card info on there. But... It's still very easy and seamless to punch in your credit card info if need be. And you could go an entirely different route if you wanted to, where rather than purchase games on a game by game basis, you can actually just load up your wallet with the amount of money that you would like to spend on the game. So I could go on there if I know I'm going to buy, you know, a couple of games, I can actually just load up my account with $100 if I wanted to, and then just buy the games, you know, willy nilly. Alternatively, there are also gift cards that you can buy both on like Amazon or online storefronts or physically in brick and mortar stores that you can then preload the gift card amount for the Nintendo Switch eShop onto your account that way. So you've got quite a few options, even if you don't feel comfortable tying your credit card to your account. And just really
1: quickly before we move on, there's just a couple small things I do want to touch on real quick. I did briefly mention when we were introducing this segment that there were a couple things I wish someone had told me. One of those things is the fact that you can shrink the Nintendo Switch screen on your TV. Now, a lot of us may have older TVs that aren't directly tied to the proportions of a Nintendo Switch screen, and... You turn on a game and you can't see a lot of the information that's on the corner, that's on the border of your television. This is something that I dealt with for quite some time. It just turned out it was a really simple fix. If you just go into TV settings, uh, toward the bottom of the system settings, go to adjust screen size, and you can just, again, adjust the screen size for the Nintendo Switch so you can shrink the screen down so all of that information, uh, so you can see all of that information for every game. It's a simple thing, but again, it's it's very, very easily missed. And it's just one of those things that I really wish somebody had pointed out to me sooner. Now, when it comes to other TV settings, a lot of that stuff is done automatically. It'll automatically tailor itself to your TV in terms of RGB and resolution and stuff like that. So you don't have to do that much. But in terms of the adjust screen size, it will not automatically do that. So if that's something you need to do, you will have to do that manually and then obviously if you want to go around and play around with the settings there's settings for amiibos there's settings for notifications that you can give and if you wind up taking your nintendo switch on the road with you there's even an airplane mode setting for the switch as well so jump in check out the settings and uh, you can very easily tailor the switch to whatever you really need it to do
0: yeah totally there's a ton of stuff to really familiarize yourself with and we we highly recommend that you do Uh, right from the outset. And, you know, that's, that just is, is part and parcel of the experience. Just really, you know, the system's got a lot of options there for you. And we highly recommend that you kind of get to know them all. Uh, but kind of moving on from that, you, the, I think the question that some new Nintendo switch owners may have accessories, what what should I be buying? What sort of things could really enhance my experience with this console? The
1: very first accessory you should buy for your Nintendo Switch is a screen protector.
0: Yep, agreed.
1: Uh, I would honestly recommend, if it's at all possible, you should get a screen protector along with your Nintendo Switch purchase at bare minimum. If you only buy one extra accessory for your system, I would highly recommend it being a screen protector. When it comes to any type of touchscreen or anything really with a screen at all, the very first thing I buy is a screen protector.
0: Yeah. And there are some really good high quality tempered glass screen protectors that you can get for a very budget price. I think I got a two pack when I bought my wife's switch and I think it was like $10 Mm -hmm. for two. And it came with like a cleaning cloth and like everything that I needed to set her up with a tempered glass screen protector. So yeah, highly recommend that.
1: Now, Nintendo, you know, maybe outside of a certain controller set, uh, Nintendo does very famously make strong, sturdy, very well-made items, uh, but it is still ultimately, it's not indestructible. So if you are using this, if you are playing this around young children, do attempt to stress to them that. Yes, this may be somewhat of a toy, but it is easily breakable and it you can do irreparable damage to the switch. So uh, one of the reasons that we highly recommend getting a screen protector is there are a lot of people that just kind of throw the switch into its charging dock. And mm. if you are not, you don't have to be super delicate with it, but if you are just slamming it into the charging dock, you can wind up damaging the screen that way if you were just if you show zero lack of care. So I have seen that show up a a couple times before. That's one of the biggest reasons that I recommend getting a screen protector aside from just having one anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a bunch too, where people will scuff up their screen by just sort of haphazardly throwing it in the dock. I mean, it's, not recommendable. Uh, have a little bit of care, and uh, and the screen protector will definitely mitigate a lot of that, too.
1: Because kids are always known for being very delicate with electronics, of course. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Well, that actually, another thing we should probably point out, you know, we're not going to, because of issues that we've talked about on the show in the past, very highly publicized issues with the Nintendo Switch Joy-Con We are not going to necessarily recommend you go out and spend a ton of money on new Joy-Con right now. Um, I think smart money is on waiting for some sort of revision that is hopefully coming later this year. Uh, But I I will say, especially when it involves children, make sure you're taking full advantage of the included Joy-Con wrist straps. Make sure that those are not getting thrown around. Make sure that they are being put on the Nintendo Switch correctly. Make sure that the railing is being utilized correctly when you are snapping them onto the switch because that could also be very damaging with all of that being said though there is one controller that we can wholeheartedly recommend that you pick up with your brand new nintendo switch and that is the official nintendo switch pro controller um I mean, legitimately one of my favorite controllers of all time.
1: It is really, really good. It's really smooth. It feels really good to control. The big drawback to the Pro Controller is the fact that it is really expensive.
0: It is. It is expensive. I mean, it's pretty much par for the course for some of the competitions. Um, You know, when you look at the PlayStation and Xbox controllers, the officially licensed ones anyway, they're about that range. But um, also, you have to consider that It has got full gyro motion control functionality in the in the pro controller. It's got the HD rumble functionality, which that's actually something that we should point out. There are going to be a lot of even high quality, like the Power A third party controllers are actually really high quality and they've gotten really, really close to the Nintendo level of quality with those power A controllers and they are a little bit cheaper and I could recommend them for the price. However, you will not find any other controller that takes advantage of the Nintendo Switch's proprietary HD rumble functionality. Um, And then to say nothing of the battery life, this thing lasts like forever on a single charge.
1: (laughs) It is probably my favorite controller that Nintendo has ever done, which again, considering the price point, it better be but uh, ultimately at the end of the day uh is great controller you should definitely get one if you're avail- uh, if you are able to
0: yeah i mean be prepared to pay to pay premium for it but but i think you and i both agree that it is well worth the price
1: now if it is too much of a premium for you i was actually going to bring up the power a controllers as well because i do like a lot of those that in hori uh they do make yeah. a lot of really really good stuff the off brand scene of video game accessories has gotten a lot better over the past couple of years no more of this mad cats mess
0: I was just going to say that I was like we're a far cry from the mad cats
1: days yeah oh man it's just <laughs> but Uh, And another thing about the Power A and the Hori controllers is there's a lot of really cool themes out there. There's a lot of really cool themed controllers. if you're a collector, you might even look into it. But uh, if the the Nintendo Switch Pro controller is just a little bit too expensive for you, there are a lot of pretty great off-brand accessories for the Nintendo Switch that we definitely think you should check out. Again, Power A and Hori, I think, would be the top two brands that we would recommend if you are going to go off-brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it'll save you a couple bucks. And a lot of them, especially with the new line of PowerA controllers, they've got a lot of similar functionality to the Switch, and for about twenty thirty dollars less. So, uh, to the Switch Pro controller, so we can definitely recommend that. Another thing I recommend, especially you know, with the main draw of the Nintendo Switch being a handheld console hybrid, as with any handheld device. Uh, in terms of gaming devices anyway, I always recommend a carrying case, a protective, portable carrying case of some kind. And this is the kind of thing where you can spend as little or as much money as you would like to. (laughs) Like the carrying cases have a pretty wide range, um, but you could get a really solid one for not that expensive.
1: Yeah, I've got a really, really nice rubber mario kart one i picked up for like twenty dollars i think it holds my nintendo switch it holds about a dozen switch cartridges and it does everything i need it to do i've dropped it a few times i haven't had a single issue with crack screen or or the switch messing up on me at all there's a ton of cases out there there's some really good legend of zelda Sheikah slate style cases uh yeah there's just a ton of options out there but If you are going to be taking the Nintendo Switch on the road with you at any point, it is just like with the screen protector. It's paramount that you protect the system as much as possible.
0: Yeah, there's there's actually a really decent one that's like 15 maybe dollars on Amazon. It's like an Amazon branded Amazon Basics, I think it's called, uh, Nintendo Switch carrying case, which is like really it's one of the highest rated Nintendo Switch cases. And uh, really sturdy, really solid, holds games. I actually, if you want to go a little bit bougie. <laughs> uh oh, we're about to get fancy. Yeah, there's a company called Waterfield Designs, based out of San Francisco, that has really kind of boutique Nintendo Switch carrying cases. And, and I wound up getting one of those. And I've got this really beautiful leather, like brown, grizzly, genuine leather Nintendo Switch case. And uh, came with a a thing that holds cards, uh, cartridges. It's uh, got like nice padding that's like custom fitted for the Joy-Con. And it's actually got, uh, when you slide it into the case, there's like a a piece of fabric that wipes the screen when you slide it in and out. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's very nice, but those are very expensive. You can totally get away with something way cheaper than that.
1: (laughs) Now, speaking of bougie
0: or fancy and stuff
1: like that, there are a lot of people on Etsy. Uh, that do do a lot of custom Nintendo Switch controllers, yep. carrying cases, stuff like that. I wouldn't personally recommend, I don't know personally anybody on Etsy who does it. I do know there's a lot of people out there who do, but we are not going to specifically recommend any one creator. Just, uh, you know, do a search if that's something you're into. Check out, see what people have because the Nintendo Switch has created a huge, huge market for stuff like that, especially on websites like Etsy.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of stuff out there. Do your research. Look at some reviews, you know, from other users, other people have purchased that if you are going to go that route. Uh, Buy with caution, of course. But again, in the realm of carrying cases and accessories in general, for the most part, there is a wide variety of options. Now, another thing that I think is going to be really important, especially if you're going a digital route with your games on your Nintendo switch is upgradable, expandable storage. The Nintendo switch has got 32 gigabytes of internal memory, and you're going to find that that's going to fill up really, really quickly. And so what you're going to want to do, especially if you find yourself running out of that space, you're going to want to pick up a micro SDXC card. Uh, for some expandable storage on your Switch.
1: Just like with all the bigger consoles out there, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are certainly not immune to the storage woes. Now, 32 gigs does sound like a lot less than a PS5 and an Xbox Series S, and it is. But the games themselves aren't nearly as big as those on Microsoft and Sony's toys. Now, that being said, they will, like Seth said, you will be filling up your memory pretty quickly unless you do get some expandable storage. And with... Micro SD technology being what it is, you can find, I would definitely recommend trying to find these on sale because it does seem like micro SD cards do go on sale fairly often. And all the time, Yeah, especially around the holidays coming out of the new year, you still might be able to find some overstocked micro SD cards uh, because a lot of people, a lot of retailers know that a lot of people did get Nintendo switches for the holidays and they should be trying to sell them. You can get a few gigs or you can even get up to, I think there's even a straight up terabyte micro SD card these days.
0: That, that is my next goal. I want to get a terabyte, a stupid terabyte of data on my switch. Uh, but no, you can, uh, I'm actually on Amazon right now. You can pick up a 256 gigabyte micro SDXC card for about $30. See, there you go. And that's not even on sale. Like you can often find them cheaper than that. You could even look at some of your brick and mortar stores, your best buys and what have you for even better deals than that. Um, But, but yeah, we highly recommend that you get some expandable storage for this thing. And that slot is located underneath the switch's kickstand on the back of the unit.
1: Yeah. Good call. Cause it did take me a few seconds to find that. I popped up the kickstand. I was like, what in the world is that? It's like, Oh, that's the SD card slot. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, it is kind of hiding, admittedly, but but yes, like even for my wife, just for a quick anecdote, uh, we thought that she was going to be fine with the internal 32 gigs because she doesn't play a whole lot of video games. However, even she needed to upgrade her storage. So I think even if you don't kind of expect to be playing like every single solitary Nintendo Switch game, I still think it's worth upgrading.
1: I do too. I got a 250 gig micro SD card. And again, I've had the Switch since day one. And with my 250 gig SD card, I have not yet had to think about deleting any games off of my system yet. And trust me, folks, I've got quite a few.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that for the vast majority of people uh, i think 250 ish gigs would be absolutely fine but the system does support up to a terabyte i think currently and uh, and if you again if you want to go for that you absolutely can
1: and i think the last thing we'll shout out real quick here before we move on from accessories is the fact that if you want to go old school With the Nintendo Switch, during my time at Game Exchange, I realized that not a lot of people are aware the Nintendo Switch actually has a GameCube adapter.
0: It does, yeah.
1: So there are a few games on the Nintendo Switch that do support GameCube controllers, a certain Brothers of Smashing game does immediately come to mind but there are a couple others and if you are an old-school nintendo gamer if you love the nintendo gamecube then there is actually a gamecube controller adapter available for the nintendo switch i believe uh depending on whether you get off-brand or official it can run you between i think 15 or 30 dollars but uh, if that's something you're into then that option is available to you
0: but You've got your accessories, you've got yourself all set up with the settings, you're familiar with everything. Now you're wondering, what about the games? What am I going to play on my brand new Nintendo Switch? And one of the things that we want to shout out right off the top is the Nintendo Switch online subscription service. And this thing has got a ton of benefits. Um, Notably, this has got two Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Nintendo Entertainment System apps that are being frequently updated to include a ton of retro games that you can play right at your fingertips.
1: Yeah, just by having a Nintendo Switch online subscription, all of the Nintendo and Super Nintendo games on the apps are available to play for free. And there are some obscure titles on there, but there are a ton of classics, a ton of the games you would want to play. So for the Nintendo, you've got your Legend of Zelda, your Metroid, your Super Mario Brothers, one, yep. two, three, you've got your Kid Icarus, you've got your Gradius, you've got all of these classics, dozens of, of games. And on your Super Nintendo, you have Super Mario World, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past. You've got, as of last month, you've got the entire Donkey Kong Country trilogy available to yes. play for free if you have a Nintendo Switch Online service. Frankly, those games alone, frankly, just the Nintendo and Super Nintendo games alone are worth buying a Nintendo Switch Online subscription service for. But there are a couple other benefits as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, they have got some kind of like. Exclusive games that are tied to it, such as Tetris 99 and currently Super Mario 35, which are both really interesting games that are tied to the NSO. But in addition to that, you will sometimes be included in some exclusive deals and offers so uh they they've got exclusive like gear for splatoon 2 you can download some stuff for the super smash brothers ultimate spirit board um you can currently uh as of this recording play the full version of crash team racing as a nso subscriber it's it's pretty cool
1: and of course having nintendo switch online also allows you to play your switch games on Line. It is something you will need to have if you do want to play online with others. And I will say that the price point for Nintendo Switch Online compared to Microsoft and Sony is far more affordable. So affordable. It is, I believe, $20 a year. And there's even a family plan for $35, uh, $35 a year that I believe works for up to eight systems.
0: Yeah. So this is crazy, guys. You can get a family plan for Nintendo Switch Online for $35 a year and you can have up to 8 users associated with it. So like for me, I pay $35 a year and now me, my wife, my uncle, my cousin, my brother, my and my friend and my little sister have all got access to all of the benefits of NSO for $35 a year. Like that's crazy. And I mean, I I love that. That's a very, I think, consumer friendly option. So if you've got a a family, uh, even if you want to like collaborate with friends and get, you know, friends in on it, uh, you absolutely can with the family subscription plan. Nintendo has is a okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually what I did my first year with NSO is me and my employees all pitched in like five bucks and we all paid for the the family plan for NSO that year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And then even if you don't want to go that route, you just want to do a single kind of uh, account sub um, that's only $20 a year, which is, you know, barely a month or, you know, barely two months of the uh, Xbox and PlayStation subscription models. So it may not be as fully featured as the competition, but it's also much, much cheaper. And you've also got some functionality with the smartphone app. Uh, The animal crossing app is actually really handy uh with that. You can actually use that in game to uh access your reactions and even look at your like Nook shopping catalog and stuff. So it's it's got some really cool features. Um you've got the save cloud data backup
1: yes. that uh
0: that is available for NSO. So that's also a really nice bonus. And it, it really does feel like and the reason we wanted to shout it out right here at the top is it really does feel like the kind of service that you want to have right out the gate
1: and cloud saves forever because we know a couple of you aren't super hardcore video game people. What a cloud save is essentially if something does wind up happening to your video game console, because of course, as we've mentioned, kids are very famously very gentle with all forms of electronics, (laughs) but if something does happen, your save data file is saved in what is called the cloud which means that once you're able to get your Switch repaired or get a new Switch, once you re-download your profile, you can re-download that save file so you won't actually lose your save data for your games if your system breaks. And that can be a lifesaver, literally, for many people.
0: Oh yeah. And then like even beyond that, it's almost entirely automated. So it just kind of does it automatically as you close the application for the game that you're playing. It'll just upload your save data to the cloud. So it's completely autonomous. You don't have to think about it. And it's really handy for if you were to get a new like switch down the road, say you want to upgrade or or whatever the case may be, you can easily have access and download all of your old saves right there. It's super nice.
1: And we've already mentioned that for a lot of you new Switch owners out there, you probably did wind up getting something like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild or Animal Crossing along with your shiny new system. And if you didn't, those are two games we very highly recommend picking
0: up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of you also probably got Mario Kart 8. Let's just be real. That's just the game that won't stop. <laughs> uh. <laughs> However, yes, uh the kind of easy answer to this question, what game should I buy for my Nintendo Switch? Um the stuff that Nintendo makes. I mean, that is the easy answer. Nintendo first-party titles are the cream of the crop. I mean, they are the most consistent high-quality developer in the world, you know, maybe we're a little bit biased cuz we're a Nintendo podcast, but like pound for pound, Nintendo just makes good games. And, you know, when you're talking about games like Super Mario Odyssey, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, these are some of the most critically acclaimed games of all time. And you can now play them.
1: Yeah, a lot of Nintendo's franchises are seeing series best installments on Nintendo's hybrid console. And uh, again, Breath of the Wild is phenomenal. We can't wait for the sequel. Super Mario Odyssey is phenomenal. We can't wait to see if there is going to be a sequel. But in addition to Super Mario Odyssey, there are a couple other Mario platformers on the Nintendo Switch as well. There are mm-hmm. There is already one Wii U port in the form of New Super Mario U Deluxe that is available currently on the Nintendo Switch. A great 2D platformer. And uh, next month, they're going to be releasing Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's oh, Fury.
0: I can't wait for that.
1: So come next month, you are going to have three separate Mario platformers, core Mario platformers, available to play on your Nintendo Switch. But even beyond Mario and Zelda, obviously we've already mentioned Mario Kart. Obviously we've already mentioned Animal Crossing. Both of those are amazing titles. Definitely, definitely pick up Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. One of the best party games. One of the best fighters ever released the best-selling fighting game of all time nintendo's amazing crossover extravaganza that is the gift that just keeps on giving we recently got sephiroth as has been highly publicized by us and many other people we still have more characters coming it's just a fantastic fantastic time in terms of parties there is also super mario party if you can find that on sale uh, I admittedly I don't know if I would spend full price on it but if you can't find it on sale it is still a really really good installment in the Mario Party franchise you have Pikmin 3 Deluxe which recently was released it is currently the only Pikmin game on the nintendo switch so if you are a pikmin fan definitely do give that a try and just so many other first party nintendo games if you're an rpg fan they had you you have xenoblade chronicles 2 which released a couple years ago which is fantastic this year you had xenoblade chronicles definitive edition which released which is also fantastic
0: there are for for me honestly I feel like the first-party catalog on the Nintendo Switch, you can really just pick your poison. It's the kind of thing where, do you like racing games? Cool, we've got something like Mario Kart. Technically, two Mario Kart games now with the release of Home Circuit. Um, do you like platformers? Yeah, we've got the core Mario series. Do you like action RPGs? Yeah, we've got Zelda. You know, Do you like hardcore Japanese role-playing games? Yeah, we've got Xenoblade. You know, do you like shooters? We've got Splatoon you know um, Splatoon two is a, a fantastic competitive shooter. That is a lot of fun that if you're into the competitive shooter scene, I think you should really give it a look. There's, there's so, so, so much. It's got such an impressive catalog. And then even in addition to that, we are seeing the definitive versions of some third-party releases. I was just talking with some friends earlier today about Dragon Quest S. it is like, the definitive version of that game is on Switch. I spent 150 plus hours with it. We haven't even talked about Pokemon. The, the multiple Pokemon games on the system. I mean... It's really an embarrassment of riches.
1: And if you own a Nintendo console, you you basically knew what you were getting into. You know that all the first party Nintendo games are going to be amazing. You know, whatever genre you're into, you're probably going to have a first party Nintendo game to cater to it. However, there are also some very notable third party games that we think you should be on the lookout for. Now, specifically, if you're talking platformers, there are a couple that we really do think you should check out. Uh, It's been out for a while, but it does bear repeating that Rayman Legends Definitive Edition is one of the best 2D platformers that I've ever played. Top 3 for sure. You have Ukulele and Ukulele in the Impossible Lair. You have New Super Lucky's Tale. So there are some really interesting non-Nintendo platformers on the system if you are wanting to check it out. Also definitely check out A Hat in Time if that's the genre of choice for
0: you. Well, that's that's a good thing to piggyback off of right there, but talking about Ukulele and A Hat in Time because One of the things that we do every week on the show is we highlight independent games. The Nintendo Switch has become a great home for independent titles, and we cover a fantastic independent game every single week here on the show. So, I mean... I could sit here and list off a bunch of them, or I could tell you to go back and listen to all of our previous episodes where we've done that for you. We highlight awesome games and their developers in the independent scene on the Nintendo Switch every week. And the reason we do that is because there's just so many of them to play on the Switch.
1: Yeah, legitimately way too many to even begin to think about listing them here. Just in terms of individual genres, we could wind up just going on tangents for the next couple hours. Uh, And I'll just I'll relay it back to Seth. We talk about independent games every week. If you're interested in getting into independent games, which we definitely recommend, do check out our previous episodes, do some research online, because it is not hard to find information on a lot of really, really amazing indie titles.
0: I mean there's just so much. There there's so much to play here. I mean, you and I often have the issue of like literally not enough time to play all of the amazing games on Switch.
1: True story. Yeah, just watch any one of the indie world showcases, especially from the past 6 months.
0: And that's and that's another thing too. I mean, like that's to sort of close, like that's sort of what I would say to you as a new Nintendo Switch owner, welcome to the fold. Like now you can get involved with all these amazing new releases and, you know, watch the Nintendo directs and and be involved with the indie world showcases and stuff. There is so much, this has got to be, I've been playing games for a long time. You and I both have been playing games our entire lives and the Nintendo switch and everything that's been going on in this generation of Nintendo is right up there with some of the most exciting content that I've ever experienced as a lifelong Nintendo fan.
1: And it just keeps coming. Nintendo has been such a, or the Nintendo Switch has been such a port machine, not just Wii U ports, but games from older consoles are finding new life on the Nintendo Switch. I mean, we can joke about Skyrim all we want, but if you love first-person shooters, drop back into Bioshock, drop back into Borderlands. Doom and Doom Eternal are also on the Nintendo Switch. Whatever you want, it's not just a kid's console anymore. There are certainly plenty of amazing kid-friendly games on there, but even for more adult-oriented content, there's plenty of that as well.
0: And guys, if you have any further questions, if you're looking for any further game recommendations, if there are something that we haven't covered here that you've got a question about, we are always open to discussion. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter, and we would love to hear from you.
1: And once you've checked out a lot of the games we've already mentioned, maybe you can check out some of These, because as it turns out, four out of the five games that we are going to be discussing in this week's top five are available to own on the Nintendo Switch. And Uh as we got closer to the new year this past week, as that countdown got closer and closer to 2021, it got us thinking about countdowns in general, specifically within the realm of Nintendo games. So... For this week's top five, we are counting down the top five countdowns in Nintendo history.
0: Yeah, so obviously, New Year's is all about counting down, right? It's all about that big moment, that big kind of like hype moment of counting down to the midnight hour, crossing over into the new year. And yeah, it definitely sort of had us thinking about these kind of moments in Nintendo games, both the sort of (laughs) stressful countdowns and the interesting countdowns. And we've certainly we're able to come up with, a, I think, a pretty interesting list based on countdowns that happen in Nintendo games.
1: Yes, obviously we talked about earlier how Seth and I both experienced the new year in Animal Crossing, how we both joined our Islanders for the countdown to 2021. But as it turns out, countdowns and timers are even more ubiquitous than I really even thought. There's a ton of time specific elements in a lot of our favorite games so coming up with the top five wasn't necessarily that difficult but i found a lot more than i really thought i would when we were starting to do research for this and i can't wait to share what we found
0: yeah so let's get into it and actually starting off with our number five i think something that's really interesting in the mario kart series right anybody Mm -hmm. who has played mario kart at the beginning of every race, you have the three, two, one, go, that countdown timer that happens at the very beginning. But the countdown timer in Mario Kart is a little bit different from not only other racing games, but other timers in general because it has an actual mechanical element to it. For those who don't know, you can actually rev your engine right around the time when you get to that last second of the countdown timer and get a pretty substantial speed boost right at the top of the race. And it's one of those interesting little things about Mario Kart where it's so ubiquitous with Nintendo game design, where you can totally get by. Like a lot of players might not even know that's a thing that exists but then the people who've spent a lot of time absolutely know it and take advantage of it at the start of every race.
1: Yeah, certainly the 3-2-1 countdown is pretty universal when it comes to any type of racing game whether it be Mario Kart, Gran Turismo, Crash Nitro, but in Mario Kart where especially when you're playing competitively, how mm-hmm. the win how first place and second place or even oftentimes first place and fifth place can be separated by less than a second. Being able to effectively use that three, two, one countdown, being able to know when to start rev your engine to get the biggest boost possible coming out of the starting gate, that can, in many respects, sometimes uh, mean the difference between a gold place finish or a no place finish
0: yeah 100 percent. and to that end like like you just said kind of knowing how to effectively use it i think is important because you can absolutely do it too early and completely spin out right at the top of the race
1: yeah and i feel like the timer is a little bit different for each one it's something that's been in the mario kart franchise since super mario kart back on the super nintendo and it's been an element of the kart racing giant ever since but uh It's just, of all the different racing game countdowns, that's just always the one that I go back to. Just seeing that Lakitu sitting there with that little three, two, one, and then, brr, and then all the carts. well, hopefully all the carts go out. A few of them may have burned out because they hit the gas (laughs) too early. But in terms of that genre of games, even if you're talking about arcade racers versus racing simulators, I really feel like, the Mario Kart iteration of that countdown really is the most iconic.
0: We've all got that burned into our head, right? That dun, 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 dun <laughs> You know? Yeah. Isn't
1: is isn't that how they start off every piece of Mario Kart promotional material? Basically.
0: Yeah. I mean it's that's how iconic the Mario Kart countdown is.
1: Now for our number four, now we all know that making a first impression is incredibly important especially within the world of video games mm-hmm. you can tough through a movie even if it's got a bad opening scene if you're reading a book oftentimes you may not completely give up on it even if the first couple chapters don't really hook you but it is really really easy to let go of a video game if that first level if that first mission doesn't really grab you and a lot of the best games of all time, for a lot of the best games of all time, it is that opening mission. It is that first level. It is that first boss that winds up being one of the most enduring images of the game. When you think about Super Mario Brothers, what do you immediately think of? For most people, it's level 1-1. When many people think of Sonic the Hedgehog, it's Green Hill Zone Act 1, and so on and so forth. So for one of the greatest games of all time, the Bombing Run mission from Final Fantasy VII certainly made a very good first impression on gamers back when it released on the PlayStation 1. Now available on the Nintendo Switch, finally. And, yes. uh Just a, a classic in every sense of the word. But even if you've only ever played the first mission in Final Fantasy VII in Square's iconic JRPG, you know exactly what I'm talking about you fight your way down to the Mako Reactor core, you set that charge, and then all of a sudden, you have five minutes to hightail it out of there.
0: And it's tense, man. Like, it's very tense. It is absolutely the kind of thing, especially, like, playing this as a kid, where you could very feasibly fail, and there's a lot of, like, high-stress situations that happen during it. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) It's it's a really intense in terms of countdowns. Yeah, that that like Mako reactor number 1 that that bombing run is like a really tense and memorable scene. And again, this is the way they open the game.
1: Yeah, you had no clue really how the game was going to play out. You were still trying to get a sense for what Final Fantasy VII was going to be like. So we didn't really know if it was going to be a loose timer, if it was going to be a tight timer. All we knew is we all of a sudden had a five minute time limit and monsters were still attacking us as we were trying to make our escape. So we're going through these random encounters, just desperately trying to just die, just die, just die. Please just die. Quit attacking me. All right, we have no time left. Let's just run. Let's just run. Let's just run. But it certainly makes for a great introduction into one of the GOATs of role-playing game history.
0: Yeah, I mean, just a just a crazy introduction. You get to know the characters in those moments. You know, Barrett, Wedge, Biggs, Jesse, like all, all these great characters in this iconic video game with a, you know, no pun intended, explosive opening. <laughs> and uh, you see what I did there? Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a button, <laughs> and the uh, and again, just the the countdown timer, adding that level of stress to it, adding that intensity, adding those stakes, uh, definitely makes for a, a memorable opening to that game. So we we absolutely had to shout it out.
1: <laughs> and I'm just glad you didn't have to fight the guard scorpion while you were in that, because the guard scorpion fight can get really annoying, especially when it becomes oh, kind man. of a a puzzle fight halfway through. So just glad it we is. didn't have to deal with that in addition to everything else.
0: But for our number three, I wanted to pitch it back to a game that you shouted out just a few minutes ago, super Mario brothers. Okay. Because, you know, folks who grew up with the original super Mario brothers, you know, I mean, still this day, the game's timeless, obviously the countdown timer, and Super Mario Brothers is absolutely iconic. When you get to under the 100 second mark and that time, like that, that iconic like song kicks in, that kind of like high stress, like, oh crap, I got to get to the end of the level now, you know, like that. that's kind of drilled into our heads as Nintendo fans at this point.
1: Yeah, it's been a part of every 2D Mario platformer ever at this point. It became such uh, a ubiquitous part of game design that it really felt like every game for a while adopted some type of time limit mechanic into its, into its gameplay. Obviously, Super Mario Bros. wasn't the first title to have a time limit, a straight-up right. clock in the corner of the screen, counting down. I actually tried to find the first. I wasn't able to, so if anybody is aware of the first-ever video game to have a countdown timer, to have an actual counting-down clock, on screen, do let me know. As far as my research went, I think it's something on the Intellivision.
0: That, that sounds I would, right. I, yeah. I would
1: genuinely like to know what the first one is, if, if you guys could, could find that. But... When Nintendo came back on the scene with their home console in 1985 and Super Mario Brothers took over the world, all of a sudden everybody was like, okay, this is what it's like. This is what it takes to make a really good video game. And they used Super Mario Brothers as the template for a lot of the best games made moving forward. And the timer mechanic was a huge, huge part of that. And we're still even kind of seeing that influence to this day, obviously with Super Mario Maker. Uh, you can influence the time mechanic to be whatever you want. And there are a lot, a lot of the best levels in Super Mario Maker and Super Mario Maker 2 make uh, make good use of the clock. A lot of them are really tightly timed speed runs that are a ton of fun. And obviously with a lot of platforms, we have kind of moved away from that even as early as the Super Nintendo with stuff like Donkey Kong Country and Crash Bandicoot, not really having timer clocks. But even still, uh, you do see them occasionally, especially in a lot of indie games.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and and it does like, especially like you said, the, the folks who are making like Super Mario Maker levels, where you like intricately adjust that timer to just put the right amount of pressure on the player, and I, I think that's a really interesting bit of design there, where you're going up against the literal countdown clock. And um, I think that's a big deal. There's all those fun little Easter eggs. Like if you manage to end the level on a certain number, there might be like a little fireworks explosion or something like that in some of the Mario games. So yeah, I mean, absolutely iconic countdown clock.
1: Yeah, those were little touches they didn't even have to put in. They didn't necessarily have to put in a faster version of the Mario Brothers theme. Once the, uh, once the countdown clock hit 100, they didn't have to add that little Easter egg with the fireworks, but that just really drives home how detail-centric Nintendo was, even back in the early days of its development, playing off the time clock in multiple ways to really great effect.
0: And speaking of games that utilize a countdown clock to great effect, I'm sure everybody was wondering when we were going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. <laughs> so for our number two, Here it is, Majora's Mask, the game that literally has a countdown clock, a actual timer involved in every facet of its design.
1: Yeah, we talked about it uh, on our top five of best games that allow you to turn the clock back, and it was very deserving of a spot on that list as well. The entire conceit of Majora's Mask is that you have three days left to save the world. And not only is that timer always on your mind it is always present on screen mm-hmm. you always see on screen exactly how much time you have left to save the world uh, and even though you are able to reset the clock it is still very much a, a stress inducing element of that game because you need to get so much done in each cycle to really get anything done so you're always really having to fight the clock in some respect and the the balance that Majora's Mask is able to to catch with its countdown timer it was a really really hard balance to catch and some of the some of the things the game does could potentially turn off longtime Zelda fans but Mm -hmm. once you appreciate the game for what it is it is very good at what it does
0: yeah, I mean, we did a full retrospective on that game with uh, Zeldathon Super MC Gamer a while back, and I, I love that retrospective. And and the, I love the game; it's one of my favorite games of all time. But yeah, that countdown clock is integral to the game. It is absolutely it informs every single element of its design. It is always present. The fact of the matter is, you can slow it down, you can speed it up, you can reverse it but you can never stop it. That countdown clock is always counting down. And I mean, when you get to those like final moments of a cycle, when you get to the final day and like just the intensity of it all, the way the music speeds up, the impending doom of it all. I mean, like I could talk about how great that game is on like a lot of like different levels, but the countdown clock is behind Just about all of it.
1: And as you get closer and closer to the final moments of the final day, not only do you have that gigantic moon just looming right over the town, but all the different NPCs will start to basically freak out. You have completely different attitudes from most of the characters you can meet in the game as you get closer and closer to zero.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely iconic. Uh, Again, one of my favorite games of all time. And the the countdown clock is just impending and always counting down and always there, ever present and uh, ever intimidating, for better or for worse. But... Before we get into our number one, I know you had a couple of honorable mentions you wanted to shout out.
1: Yeah, there was a couple that I wanted to shout out real quick. Again, at the top of the list, I said just how surprised I was to find out just how many different Nintendo games do have some type of time limit, do have some type of countdown clock associated with them. So I just wanted to briefly bring up a few of those right now. Obviously, we talked at length uh, earlier about Animal Crossing and its countdown, but even outside of that, Uh, there is always this, this timer going on because every day, is a new day the game goes by in real time so if there is stuff that you are trying to get accomplished there is always a finite amount of time to get it done unless you want to just wait around until next year so it's certainly not as pronounced as many of the other countdowns but there is always this silent time limit on everything in animal crossing and that's always something to be mindful of something that i forgot because i'm still missing one bug and one fish and have to wait another seven months to get so maybe I should be more mindful of that clock next time but <laughs> in addition to that I just wanted to throw out this might be a really obscure reference but Mega Man X5 has mm. a mechanic to where you have so many quote unquote days to save the world and every time you go into a level one of those days is is removed from your timer and you can't get it back. I think if you go into a a stage and you wind up having a, a game over and having to go back to the HUD, that also takes away one of your days. And at that point, you still haven't even beaten the level. So there is a finite amount of time to, and finite amount of chances that you have to beat Mega Man X5. Very, It was a unique mechanic that they tried with that game. And admittedly, it's not really in my favorites of the x series and if it were a better game it might have potentially made it onto the list proper but i thought it was worth mentioning at least and in terms of countdown timers in terms of having a finite amount of time to get stuff done obviously the pikmin franchise oh yep yep uh, is very very pronounced when it comes to that obviously we talked about this a little bit when we did our review of pikmin 3 deluxe however one of the conceits, one of the big gameplay wrinkles in Pikmin is the fact that you are on this day cycle, and every "quote unquote" day you have so much time to get stuff done, and with the fact that you use up resources every day in Pikmin Three Deluxe does force your hand. It does really force you to get out there and try to get as much stuff done as possible. It's not just some open world where you leisurely go around getting stuff done and you've got as much time as you need to. If you need a few more Pikmin before you go take on this challenge, you know, don't worry about it. You've got plenty of time. No, that's not actually the case. No, you better figure out what you need to do. You better plan out your route. You better figure out how best to utilize your time because you don't have an infinite amount of it. And that makes up one of the best and most interesting strategic elements of at least Pikmin three deluxe. And the last thing that I'll shout out here right before we get into number one is basically just every fighting game ever (laughs) from street fighter to mortal Kombat to again, just about any fighting game ever in order to get characters to continue to try to play against each other, to try to keep one character from, you know, just trying to play keep away for half an hour. Just about every fighting game that's ever been made has some type of time limit to help keep the action going. It's not the most popular way to play Smash Brothers, but even Smash Brothers has uh, a time limit mode that you're available to play. As a matter of fact, that's the default mode the game is set to. So uh, again, just about the entire fighting genre uses some type of countdown mechanic, uses some type of time limit to help regulate the action. There.
0: Implemented exclusively for Blanca players. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Blanca. (laughs) Just turtling in the corner with an electric discharge. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And there's a ton more, but I just wanted to shout out a few of those before we get here to the top of the list.
0: But we have arrived at the top of the list. And for our number one pick of the top five countdowns in Nintendo history, for us, we immediately think of the iconic ending of Super Metroid, the escape sequence, when you finally defeat the revived mother brain with the help of Baby Metroid. Yeah. And <laughs> and you think you're in the clear except for the words on screen that say time bomb set escape immediately and you have 3 minutes to get out of the self-destructing planet Zebes. And uh man, this moment is really, for me, we have a similar moment in the in the original Metroid game, but when it comes to Super Metroid, what makes that game so iconic is just the way that it took those elements and completely elevated them with, like, such a, I mean, just over-the-top, like, cinematic sort of ending. Have that That escape sequence, like, having to navigate your way, like, through those levels that you've become so familiar with and like the impending, like again, just the impending doom of the countdown clock, the danger element, the, you know, just sort of the, the weight of everything that just happened, like just in terms of the story of the game. Um, uh, the fact that it's carried into pop culture, like when we talk about the games done quick charity events, they always end it with super Metroid because of the fact that it's like, so conducive to a speedrunning environment. They actually have a little fun thing where throughout the entirety of the marathon, you can donate to vote to either kill or save the animals <laughs> in the escape sequence. And the idea being that, you know, you kill the animals because it takes extra time to go and save them. <laughs> so It's kind of become a pop culture staple, the escape sequence in Super Metroid. And and that just that had to be the number one slot. And it's really,
1: really interesting because as you said, Seth, we do get a similar moment like that toward the end of the first game. However, we're still not really expecting it because there's a similar moment at the beginning of Super Metroid as well during the prologue. So we get that sequence at the beginning of Super Metroid, and I think for a lot of players, we subconsciously go, oh, okay, well, we've gotten our quota of timed escapes. We're not going to see any more for the game. And then at the end of the game, the, the emotions when you're fighting the final boss, it winds up being such a power trip because especially the first time you play through. If you've never played Super Metroid, I highly, highly recommend going in with as few spoilers as possible. And if that means turning yeah. off this podcast uh, for the next few minutes, I completely understand because the ending of Super Metroid is fantastic. You go into the fight with Mother Brain, seeing something very similar to what you do, to what you see at the end of the original Metroid, of that glass-caged brain of all of her defenses around her, protecting her. then you break the glass, you shoot Mother Brain up a little bit, and all of a sudden, she transforms into this massive room-filling kaiju monster. And you're like, oh no, I'm about to die. And you just (laughs) frantically try to survive for the next few minutes. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, after you've been fighting off this massively transformed version of Mother Brain, You know, she just goes into this scripted sequence. You don't realize it at the time. She just goes into this scripted sequence where she just wrecks you, gets you down to almost no health. And that's when the the baby Metroid comes in. And the whole reason I'm going into this is just to really set the stage for, again, just the roller coaster of emotions that really helped make this entire sequence as memorable as it was. Because once the Metroid sacrifices itself and you have all this newfound power, you go from feeling, oh, I'm about to die to, oh, Mother Brain, you about to get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You just turn into like Samuel L. Jackson in that moment.
1: (laughs) And then you, you just absolutely wreck Mother Brain with your newfound power. You are feeling on top of the world. You just avenged your surrogate pet. I guess, and like John Wick just shooting up Mother Brain all up, all over the place, and you feel really happy with yourself, and then that's when the countdown timer comes in, and yet Mm -hmm. again, you go from being on top of the world to, once again, oh, I'm about to die.
0: Yeah, it, it really does feel like a playable cinematic movie moment in a time where, you know folks who are kind of like more you know maybe new gamers people who you know are kind of used to this sort of stuff you know playing the uncharted's of the world and stuff like that you have to understand like back when this game came out that's next level that was the moment where as awesome as the original metroid game is and it is an awesome game but like that moment at the end of super metroid is everything that you just described like that is exactly what kind of Propelled Metroid into being an absolutely iconic Nintendo franchise. And we
1: talk about the bombing run countdown escape being iconic from Final Fantasy 7 You had five minutes to get out of that, and that was just a single map of a single mm-hmm. game. You have what, three minutes three. to escape yeah. from the entire planet of which you have now burrowed down into the deepest, darkest part of? You have to make your way all the way back to the surface of this planet that you've been playing the entire game to get down to. It feels like, like climbing
0: a, your way up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It feels like a much more insurmountable task in super Metroid. And man, I'll, uh, many of us will never forget, especially gamers of a certain age. We will never forget escaping Zebes just by the skin of our teeth. Uh, with probably just a few seconds left to spare for the vast majority of us the first time we were able to.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a what a crazy ending to a fantastic game. And it just, for me, when I think of iconic like Nintendo countdowns, there was really no doubt in my mind that Super Metroid was was the absolute standout.
1: But what about you guys? What are your favorite countdowns in Nintendo history? Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know. Like we've said a couple times, there are a ton of them out there. So many games have some type of countdown or a time-restrictive mechanic that we'd love to hear what you have to say on it. But now, we've talked about counting down to the new year. We are actually in the new year. God, it's crazy to be in 2021, isn't it, buddy?
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to be in it, though.
1: But it is a new year, and we are always trying to give you guys bigger and better shows, to give you guys even greater Content onward and upward, as we say here at All In for the show. And even when we were talking about putting this show together in the middle of last year, there were a few people and a few companies that we were really hoping one day would be able to join us here on All In. And we cannot be more excited to say that we have one of them today here joining us as our very first guest of 2021. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are kicking off the new year right, and we could not be more excited right now to be bringing to you the director of business and development and publishing for Way Forward, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Tierney. Yay! Yay!
2: Oh, thank you, thank you guys so much for having me.
1: Awesome, thank you so much for joining us, Mister Tierney. Of course. Now you've actually been with Way Forward. We were just talking a few moments ago, as a matter of fact, about this for sixteen years now. So. What was kind of your pathway from starting with way forward and eventually ending up you know basically getting to the point where you are now with the company
2: oh i was a I was a big way forward fanboy before I came uh, to the company, <laughs> so yeah, I remember um you know i I graduated college in two thousand, but shortly before then I started getting into kind of hobby development like Game Boy hobby dev, Atari hobby dev, stuff like that. And I remember uh, around 2000 was when IGN, uh, the website, really started showing off a lot of preview stuff from Shantae on GBC. Um, and uh, and I just I love the animation, I love the art, and and some of the other games that the studio was doing at the same time, like Extreme Sports and Wendy the Witch. This is all you know, uh, Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance stuff. Um, really just loved the way all that stuff looked and and moved. And it was just, you know, so much more charismatic than most of the the Nintendo handheld games at the time, other than what Nintendo was doing themselves. And so I kind of started a correspondence with them. And then I think I did probably about, I did various jobs after college and um, slowly kind of got into the games industry, uh, doing freelance animation. And then eventually around 2004, Um, Started working at WayForward doing animation and very quickly, within a year, uh, graduated to directing games. And that's most of the time I've been doing is doing games for the last 15 years there. But in addition to that, over the last couple years, I've also been starting to oversee the business development, and now publishing for the company, which is kind of figuring out what games we're going to do and helping to finalize them and all of that. So we're wearing a lot of hats of the company right now.
1: I think one of the the, the most important hats you wear is also game director.
2: Yeah, and and that's something uh, I started directing with an X-Men Game Boy game, Game Boy Advance game, back in 2005, I think. And then since then, I've worked on uh, Design Direct, a lot of our titles. So X-Men, Justice League, um, uh, Aliens Infestation, Centipede, Barbie game, a Shrek game, Till Morning's Light... Um, And then recently, most recently, I did uh, River City Girls, which we released last year.
0: Yes, we loved River City Girls. I'm a huge fan. That was definitely, I'm I'm super excited to talk to you about that. Just kind of what is the, for, for folks who may not be familiar for whatever reason, what is that sort of elevator pitch? How would you describe River City Girls?
2: So, yeah, that was one where there really was kind of a pitch. So a lot of the games that we do, you know, they kind of either fall into our laps, like somebody needs a SpongeBob game or it aligns with, you know, a movie or a TV series. Like not too long ago, we did Troll Hunters and it kind of, you know, syncs with where the show is at. this was one where we have just always wanted to do a River City Ransom game. And um, I was not initially aware of uh, some of the Japanese ones that they had in the Kunio-kun series. It's, you know, in, in America, we've had a handful of them, maybe like, you know, 10 15 maybe 20 or so in japan they've had about 50 of them in this like massive series over the past 30 35 years and one of them uh on the super famicom if i think it was kind of the last game by the original team called tachi no banka had these two girlfriends that you could play as too which is kunio and masako and they were so just immediately adorable, but they're so fierce. Like, so they look very scrawny, but they're curb stomping guys and flipping guys over and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and it was just so amazing. Like that juxtaposition between like these little cute anime girls, just totally destroying everybody that when I saw that, I said, Oh, we gotta, we gotta make a game with those characters. And so, um, Arc System Works in Japan, owns the brand. They didn't create it, but they bought it about five years ago. And so uh, in one of our Japan trips for BizDev, we went to uh, their studio and pitched them on the idea. We had some concept art of how we would illustrate the girls. And we basically Mm. pitched them the idea of like, hey, we want to do River City Girls. We want to do something with this version of the characters and pull from the Super Famicom game, but also put our own way forward kind of spin on it. And they really liked it um, almost from the beginning. And so we chatted back and forth with them a little bit and ultimately uh, ended up being a co-production where both WayForward and ARK, uh worked on it together, funded it together. And then we published it in US and Europe and they published it in Asia.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. What was it kind of like working with them on, on the project? I mean, you know,
2: it was a little intimidating, partly because they knew the brand so well. But also hmm. just, I mean, their arc system works. These are the Guilty Gear guys and the Blaze Blue guys. And, you know, we they had already released, I think when we were first starting to talk about it, uh Dragon Ball Fighter, fight I don't know whether you say Fighter Z or Fighters, but one of the most gorgeous like fighting games ever. Like I I we would like study how they do, you know, the combat in that game and the visual effects in that game and just still couldn't even wrap our heads around it. So, you know, for them to trust uh, another developer especially a western developer with a japanese brand and it's in kind of the wheelhouse that they do it's like a brawler fighter that was just like a huge huge honor and then you know of course they were able to help out with the game way forward did most of the uh the actual development but they would have their fighter experts play it and they would give us feedback and we would play with the timing of hit stops and impacts and you know they would give us advice on how they did vfx and stuff so it was a really really good collaboration between the two studios
1: Nice. In terms of putting the way forward stamp on River City Girls, what were some things that were really important to you that you thought you could incorporate into the River City franchise?
2: So one of the biggest things that was kind of the biggest break from the existing brands is that series has been around, like I said, for like over thirty years and and about fifty games, and they're still generally using the same NES sprites in most of their games. Like there's been a few where they they break from it, but you know the ones that Arcs put out recently on you know PlayStation Four and and you know, uh, recent Xboxes and stuff, they still generally look like the NES sprites. And so that was the biggest change that we did is we said we want to make it look different. We still want to do pixel art, but we want to make it look different than this classic style. And the main reason for that was that there were just so many of those games. We didn't want ours to be confused without anything else. We didn't want somebody to say, wait, is this the one that I played last year on PS4? Or is this an expansion of it? So we did like a very different, very colorful, vibrant, uh, almost kind of pastel visual style. And, uh, and you know, again like to their credit uh arc was totally on board with it um i mean i could see you know because the the games they were producing at the time were very like reverent toward the that classic nes famicom style so i could have seen them you know very easily saying no 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 this is too far but they really went along with it and then as far as you know beyond the visuals uh you know it's it's very heavy in terms of the personality of the storytelling so like just Tons of VO between characters, trying to do as much passive VO as possible so that you're hearing it during the fight rather than just cinematics. And then the, the music was also something that we knew we really needed to have stand out from anything we'd ever done before. And of course, we got really lucky with Megan McDuffie, who did most of the music in the game, including most of the singing. Um, she really just yes. brought that aspect of the game to a whole other level that we, I don't even think we anticipated at the beginning of production.
0: Yeah, I love the soundtrack to this game. I'm a huge video game music fan. This one is it spectacular. Is. <laughs> uh, I was actually, that that brings me to a point that I was going to ask you about. Um, there, I love the kind of, the girl power vibes this game has. There's some awesome women that are involved in the game's development. Like you just said, uh, Megan McDuffie with the amazing soundtrack, Chip Cell, uh, the voice direction by Christina V, and, and I'm sure many, many others. Was that a big focus for you, coming into the project to ensure that the team making the game had a strong female voice?
2: I think maybe I was a little more aware of that rather than a typical way forward game um at the end of the day i don't think we would have chosen somebody who happened to be female and wasn't you know beating everybody else out just on 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 talent so i think it's kind of like you know at the same time it was like oh yeah this would be great if we can get more women on this but at the end of the day it, it was more just kind of picking the people that that were right for it but yeah it ended up being definitely i believe the most um uh kind of women to men ratio on the game, especially in prominent roles. We had Megan, who was the lead composer. We had Christina, who was our VO director and caster. Um, The lead illustrator is Priscilla. uh, And then uh, Valeria was our lead background artist. Um, Hunter created all of our uh, initial character sprites. Um, and, uh, and I'm probably forgetting more, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because, you know, there was, it was directed by myself and Ben and Rudis. So you had two guys, you know, writing and directing the game, but the majority of the lead roles, um, uh, outside of the two of us tended to be to a uh, female on the game, which was awesome.
0: Yeah. I, I loved that. And it, it definitely gives it, I think kind of an intangible vibe to the game. Um, when it comes to the gameplay sort of, did, did you guys, look to any sort of modern beat-em-up, you know, inspiration when you guys were designing the the way the game feels to play? Or were you trying to kind of stay true to the originals?
2: Um, It was definitely doing, first and foremost, like a deep dive on what they've done in Kunio-kun games previously. So it was looking at, you know, the initial ones, like Rover City Ransom, the very first one. Um, Also, that universe is crossed over with Double Dragon. They've always had kind of a shared universe. So, you know, Double Dragon 2 uh, was one of my favorite games growing up. So we looked at that as well. And you could see stuff like when Masako does the hop knee move, we took the old sound effect from Double Dragon 2 every time she performs it. So little things like that. And then Bannon Rudis, who was my co-director on the game, he came... From River City Underground, immediately before which was the big Kickstarter for uh, River City. Oh. That was before Way Wayfar- Forward hired him, and so he brought his own kind of fighting game expertise. And he's very much into chaining combos and juggling and stuff like that. So I think it was all of that. But then, uh, and then of course, the Super Famicom game informed us with certain things like curb stomping. And that game was the game was really that game was really obsessed with just like getting guys on the ground and then just really stomping the crap out of them, which I always thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> And then, of course, we used that even for, like, the way to revive your friend in our game just because we wanted to make the, the curb stop like, front and side. Yes. But, yeah, it was all yes. those games. And then I think the main thing, you know, was once we got all those, making sure that it was easy to play for anybody. So, it, you know, from the beginning, that's why there's a lot of moves you can unlock. I think it's probably something like, I don't know, somewhere between, like, 20 and 30 moves um, between each of the, the playable characters. But every move really very rarely boils down to more complicated than just a single direction and a single face button and it's sort of doing that sort of style we saw dragon ball fighter z do that we saw you know every smash brothers game has done that we wanted players to be able to Very easily input their moves. We didn't want to go down the route of something like a uh, Street Fighter or a Mortal Kombat where you're doing quarter circles and, like, you know, six button combos and stuff because. We wanted everybody to, you know, be able to pull off a move they want to. Now, whether they connect it, whether they beat up the guy, that's all legit challenge. But we wanted them to at least be able to, like, act and attack as, as they want to, regardless of a skill level.
1: And for those who don't know, WayForward actually developed Double Dragon Neon as well. So uh, was what were the talks or was there conversation about having a deeper crossover?
2: Not really. Um, there was already a little bit of shared DNA there because yeah, we developed that game. And also I believe Arc System Works published that game in Japan. So they were very familiar with it. And, uh, I, I, it was more just kind of when we first started working with them, it came actually more from, uh, Arc System Works who said, oh, you should throw in some of the other, like on the cusp stuff that we, that we own that's tied to Kunio-kun. So they requested double dragon characters. They requested, um, uh, Combat tribes. Um, there's some like really obscure uh, game. Like there was like a dice dungeon game on on NES where they requested wow. a girl called Waver. So if you see a girl who just looks like an anime bear costume character, it looks like something <laughs> WayForward would have created. We didn't. She actually exists from some old Famicom game. So they were requesting crazy stuff like that. I think they had asked for uh, uh, putting Skull in the game because they loved him from Neon. Yes. So yes. We had him, and we got uh, even though he's not a director way forward anymore we got sean Velaska to come back and, and voice the character again which was fun um, and it was nice to take a character who was previously just cheesy but very villainous to being cheesy and just hawking goods at like a, a thrift store um, so it was fun to reinvent him and then the there wasn't too much of a of a um like a uh Purposefully trying to cross things, th- those two games over because one of them is 3D and one of them, ha- you know, they have different fighting styles. But the one area that we were very conscious of it is when we illustrated Billy and Jimmy and the Dojos, um, and they're voiced mm. by Aaron and Danny, the Game Grumps. Um, yes. we decided not to redesign them, and so those are some of the few characters where they don't get a huge overhaul in terms of their character design or their costumes, um, we basically said, well, we're, you know, Double Dragon Neon was created by us too. So it makes sense that those characters already exist in this world. And we largely kind of kept them the same.
1: Um, I did have uh, another question. Obviously you guys worked very closely with Arc system work throughout this entire process. Is that kind of unique in terms of your, as a game director, such a deep partnership with another studio or has have all
2: of your games been relatively constrained affairs it's not unusual for us to collaborate with an external partner but usually it tends to be more on the publishing side so like when we're doing Mm. a batman game it's heavy back and forth on the story with the animators and the showrunners when we do a spongebob game it's you know making sure everything looks correct there so it's only in the past uh couple years that We've gotten more into working directly with um, other developers, uh, such as Arc System Works. They're a publisher, but they also develop. So it was a little unique in regard to that, like teaming up with them and having them, you know, know all of the ins and outs of combat and, and, you know, to the getting granular to where we're talking about, you know, uh, uh what are the, the hit stop times, which it, the best way to think of hit stop is when Pac-Man eats a ghost and everything freezes for like, you know, a 10th of a second, that's a hit stop. So stuff right. like that, they were already so familiar with that from their own fighting games. We could kind of collaborate on there. So yeah, it, it, we're, we're used to a collaboration, but, not so much uh I think typically on like a deep dive on the design side, just because we're not usually working with people that are this level of expert, usually it's more on the kind of the branding side and the
0: i p that's awesome did you as with your background as an as an animator, did that inform a lot of like did did your sort of background inform a lot of the design decisions and kind of the art style that you applied to river city girls?
2: oh, yeah, definitely, and so i mean uh you know on a on a larger game. Uh, Way forward will usually have dedicated art directors. This was a smaller budget game since it was Pixel, so I was essentially right. the art director as well and um you know, my main thing is I just wanted to give everything a unique style, so I kind of sought out artists that I really liked from you know twitter and and so Hunter Russell um had just this really amazing like uh, uh way of rendering sprite characters where it's just like big swashes of color like there's not really any outlines and there's not really much detailing or dithering or like you know micro detail it's just these big colorful swashes and I always love that and so we got her to design the initial characters and then with Valeria on the environment she had a very similar style she'd like is kind of known for uh illustrating these like super detailed um but again kind of flat color pastel kind of like japanese still life scenes and so you know pairing the two of them um was just a really cool way to give the game its own identity not even just from uh you know previous Kuniyokun games but even way forward games like the sprites really don't feel or or look like anything we'd ever done before and one of the nice kind of uh bonuses for it which i guess could have come from me you know being an animator formally uh is because the characters don't have a bunch of uh, outlines because they don't have a lot of like little dots and dithering, they're actually much quicker to animate um, because it's oh. just like big chunks of colors. So, you know, that actually helped us quite a bit in the production of the game to get more environments done more quickly and then get more characters animated more quickly, and get more animations because there's less cleanup time. Because usually, a lot of the way that our animators work is they'll kind of swash out like the colors first and then take all the time to detail later and that you know back end detailing time was you know cut in half so definitely uh I don't remember how I don't remember which led the other one. I I don't remember if I, you know, thought like, oh, we should go with this style because that'll help us. Or if we were just already, you know, going with that style because we liked it. But it definitely helped uh, uh, in terms of the production in the end.
1: It certainly seems like uh, you guys had a pretty smooth ride. Were there actually any significant challenges while you were trying to create River City Girls?
2: Not really. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you know the way that way forward is able to produce the best licensed games are when we have the best publishing partners and so the games that i've been on um where it's either gotten away from me a little bit or you know you get stuck on something or it's a little bit frustrating it tends to be you know an issue with the the license or the characters or approvals or something like that because you know left to our own devices we're you know cranking out games like shantae we're cranking out like you know very polished very charismatic games so it's all about momentum it's all about just You know, being able to run with the vision that you have and just being able to, you know, have more time to explore stuff. And on a good game, that results in just a lot of cool little quirky stuff on on a game where it's a more frustrating production you kind of end up losing some of the the wackier elements or the secondary stuff because you just run out of time because it's like, oh, well, we had to spend more time refining this thing than expected, so we have to cut this system. And so, yeah, with arc I mean, they were just super easy to work with. Most of their feedback was just on lore. Like they would, you know, uh, in one of the earlier scenes where Kyoko says, like, I don't even go to this school. Like that was just, <laughs> uh, that was uh, initially, I had them written as having Gone to the same school, and they said, "Oh no, no, no! She actually goes to this other school, so you should clarify that." So there were like little things like that where I had to adjust a, a line or two to make it consistent with the lore. Um, but aside from that, no, they were like they were one of the lightest uh, uh, dev partners, publishing partners I've ever worked with on on uh, feedback. And that allowed us to get more crazy stuff into the game. So like, you know, when we're doing the recruits where you can, you know, have the enemies fight for you or when you're doing, right. you know, the the curb stomp to bring each other back to life, those are the kind of things that came into development later on the back end of it. And we might not have gotten to those things if we didn't have such a good partnership with Ark.
1: Not to put you on the spot or anything, but would you say that the River City IP is the favorite one that you've directly been able to work with?
2: Uh probably i mean i i would say like the it's probably it's not my favorite ip of any ip that we have worked with although i like it but i would say where we took it is probably my favorite end result mm. um i mean i've got yeah we've we've since way forward we pursue our own licenses now so like i said previously it was a lot of kind of you know games falling into our laps as far as like oh they need a barbie game or they need a a spongebob game and we'll still work on those games but now we're aggressively going after the ip that we want so there are more of the contras and uh silent hills and uh double dragons and and stuff like that so you know even batman like just working on any batman game and getting to you know bring in characters that that you Read comics of when you know you were ten years old is always a dream. So I would say it's it would be hard. I'd be hard to dis, to distill down to like which IP was my favorite to work on, but I'll definitely say like the end result. I think this is my favorite license game that I have worked on. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just quick little follow up to that: since you guys are such aggressively going after these IPs now, what would be like your pie in the sky? license or ip that uh you'd love to work on
2: uh i you know what i i pro, i can't really say because we're going after them so like ah. you know yeah for for people who are, are lucky enough to work our way forward we have you know gorgeous looking mock-up images and pitches for like you know all of these great retro brands from the 80s and 90s and games and cartoons and film like everything that's ever excited us Um, we've, uh, you know, done a pitch at one point, one time or another. Um, and, uh, and so the ones that are my favorite are, are still in discussion. I could say like two. So for an example, two of them that we really chased after and got pretty close on, but just didn't end up working and and you know other developers kind of beat us to the punch um we really wanted to make a little witch academia game a couple years ago based on the the trigger series and then similar yeah and then similarly we also tried for a while to make a kill a kill game um so i think both of those i think would have been really cool had we gotten the opportunity but unfortunately those those two got away from us
0: well we we have to we have to ask the the sort of journalist question and, uh, and, and ask, you know, you guys tease during LRG three, that more river city girls is coming. Is there anything at all that you can share about a potential sequel or whatever you guys have cooking up?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. So yeah, I mean, they, they, it, it was a vague announcement, and that was like agreed <laughs> upon by by Ark and and Way Forward and LRG. Yeah, so I think it was phrased like more like we're working on more River City stuff. Yes, um, we're working on it right now. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about which characters we have and the bosses we've created, and you know, it's it, it's very much it's, the stuff that we're doing now. I think should hopefully be very appealing to uh to anybody who uh, you know played um the first game um i i will say one thing that's really cool is the first game it was really a challenge because we had to re- we had to create river city from scratch like again we weren't using the nes sprites and tile sets so we had to create every new scene every new you know boss hang out right. every new bathroom everything now that exists and so you know having that available to piggyback on to create, you know, new locations and new characters and new, you know, whatever, that's, that was one of the things that always appealed to us was like, if we can do a couple of these games back to back, we could just keep expanding the city, expanding, you know, which characters you play as expanding the the enemies you bump into and stuff like that. So that's definitely been something that that was always part of our plan and in, is in a part of, of what we're working on right now.
1: But you did mention Arc, so you are working with them directly again.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, they're Arc owns uh, the brand, so we would always be working with them one way or the other. But yeah, I I can't get too into the details because we of yeah, course we want to we want to save for like you know big impact announcements like the way that we announced RCG one at Anime Expo with the trailer and all that. Like it was it was just such a great impact. So um, so I don't want to get too into the details, but yeah, we're we are working. We are we are currently l- residing in River City, and we are <laughs> living there with Ark, and it's awesome. And and hopefully you guys nice. will love what we come up with.
0: Cannot wait. Well, I, I do have to ask you, since you handle the biz dev side of things, yeah. you are kind of the perfect person to answer the question that we ask every independent developer that we get the chance to talk to. And I, I just got to ask if Nintendo approached you, us being a Nintendo podcast, of course, if they approached you and way forward to tackle any of their legendary franchises. You don't have to pitch them nothing. They just say, hey, you can have this. Which one would it be and why?
2: Oh, boy. I cannot give you any answer there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Because just because we're, you know, we're very close to Nintendo. And so, yeah, like... You know we we've been Nintendo we've been Nintendo focused from the beginning. I mean, you know, like from even before I you know when I came to WayForward, it was like a heavy focus on GBC exclusives and GBAs. And then you know the first game we actually published was one that I directed called Lit on WiiWare, which is like a spooky yeah. flashlight game. So we did. Lit specifically for We We did Mighty Flip Champs specifically for. Uh, when
1: am I getting my sequel to Mighty Flip Champs? We talk about <laughs> it. We, you know, that,
2: that's something I would like to see us. I'd like to see us go back and and bring back characters like uh, uh, Alta from Flipchamps and Luna from Milky Way and stuff. So hopefully, hopefully soon. But yeah, I mean, we've we've you know we've always been like worked very closely. And Vitacon is the one that we just released a while ago. Yes, exclusive to Switch. And, you know, it's, it's maybe the switchiest game ever created, aside from, you know, 1-2-Switch, <laughs> possibly. Um, just total, like, the, you know, love letter to the system. So, yeah, that's something that, you know, is very much in our DNA. Um, and Nintendo, on all those exclusives, has always been, like, a really fantastic partner. Um, but, yeah, we're always talking, and we're always looking at possibilities. And so, yeah, it's unfortunately, I, I couldn't even throw out, like, a, <laughs> a, a random one because the random one could someday become possibility. So yeah, I I I can't give any answer on that one, unfortunately.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I understand. <laughs> a potentially uh revealing answer or something, or you know, retroactively revealing some Metroid collaboration or something. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Well, once again, thank you, Adam, for joining us. We cannot wait to see whatever. Way Forward has cooking up for River City Girls. You know, Way Forward continues to be our favorite independent development studio. You guys keep bang, uh, banging out amazing game after amazing game. We we wish you nothing but all the success in the world going into twenty twenty one and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us again, ladies and gentlemen. The director of business development and publishing at Way Forward and the director of River City Girls, Adam Tierney. Yay!
2: Yay! Thank you so much for having me. It's 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 been great.
1: And again, happy holidays and happy new year. Yep, you too.
0: Well, that was an awesome chat with Adam Tierney from WayForward. I was so stoked to finally be able to talk to somebody from there. Uh, We have been WayForward fans for years. Got to be one of our favorite independent studios. And it was awesome to talk to him about River City Girls.
1: Yeah, again, WayForward was one of the developers that when we started this show, uh, that was kind of one of our goals was to be able to bring somebody from a developer like that onto our show. And great to be able to say for our first show here in 2021 that we have met that goal. And hopefully we get to talk to WayForward many, many times in the future.
0: Yes, always awesome to hit goals, especially coming into the new year. Like I said, I've got my goal with the Ring Fit Adventure that I'm going on. What do you guys think? Do you guys have any goals, any resolutions, anything that you're trying to accomplish in 2021? Reach out to us and let us know. We are on Facebook and Twitter, at All In Podcast. And please subscribe to us wherever you are listening to us on and leave us nice reviews. We would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah welcome to 2021 guys yes once again happy new year we all made it we are here in
1: the future the future is now and we cannot wait to experience it all with you again our very first episode of 2021 can't wait to see you here for 52 more this year but those will have to wait until then i have been the nintendo 3d eric
0: and i have been seth fit adventure
1: all right guys we will catch you next saturday